Welcome to the Atlaran Adventuring Company. This is the world of Atlaran. Beyond the Forgotten Realms, and perhaps not far from Exandria, Atlaran and her two moon sky have seen leviathans, dissolutions, divine gates, and calamities. And that's only the last 5,000 years. Perhaps most distinct for her scars, Atlaran is host to a number of sacred or cursed sites, depending on whether you ask Bahamut or Asmodeus. Or, perhaps you'll ask the old Balin gods, whom the world herself and her moons and star are named after. These places, like Mount Gear, the Monomarig Meteor, Drosdana, the Dawn Deep Trench, the Shattered Continent, the Greenhall Sea, the entirety of Garrett Eldathos, they all play parts in the world's fate. But it's the people that truly shape it. And every so often, little windows of time, short glimpses into exceptional people's lives, are plucked from the midst of the chaotic centuries. And we call them stories. They're not always epics of heroism and bravery. Quite the contrary. Every hero was once a bumbling fool, or a selfish mercenary looking to make a platinum. Or, in most cases, both. And that brings us to our particular window in time. Following in the footsteps of a scorned bard and her unlikely lone wolf companion. Or, perhaps lone coyote is more apt. Marin Veneer, a half-elven fighter with a love of freedom and gunpowder and a former bard relearning her musical skills. Marin was the daughter to a frail sun-elf laundress who passed away when she was still young. Left to care for her half-sister Sylphie alone, Marin grew up far too fast. In her desperation to keep her sister from starving, Marin accepted help from the Alteras and was lured into their poisonous web of abuse, theft, and murder. Forced to kill and torture, often those unsuspecting and even undeserving, eventually Marin dared to question her adoptive father Alistair and was slaughtered on the spot by her brothers just before she was 18. Sylphie was left to flee alone, but ten years later Marin awoke, revived by the Hydling cult. Sickly but determined, she recovered thanks to powerful magics and the apparent interest of Cynthia Moore, mother of the new King of the Arbiters, Silas Moore III. And, by Cynthia's order, Marin was given as a gift to Silas in the hopes that she would become his subservient partner, a suitable wife that would not question the Moore family thanks to her debt to them. Marin, however, had the spark of rebellion in her soul by then, and wasn't about to be controlled again. When Silas proved he supported her in the freedom of those crushed by the Arbiters, Marin reluctantly fell in love. Now with her fiancé at her back and the work to be done, Marin is ready for the long road ahead. She'll make sure no one suffers under the boot of the Arbiters or the Heidelin cult ever again. Kit. Just Kit, a shifter or elusir of the coyote totem and mildly devout cleric of Savros, the Balin god of mischief and wanderers. Originally hailing from Amnoblin as part of a group of natives called the Manamar and Dalmaric, Kit's people have always been harassed by the Skull or outsiders who seek to take their ancestral lands and waters. Kit's particular tribe was attacked when he was young, rendering himself and his brother Ren orphans and forcing their tribe to flee their home continent altogether. They found refuge in Irakel, but struggled to adjust to the change from sub-Arctic to equatorial desert. 
trusting in the sacred Mount Gear, heart of the world, to watch over them. Kit's people settled in the northern savannas, but Kit never settled, aimlessly causing trouble to Skull and taking mercenary contracts to send money home since he was 15. Kit has become a person of interest to the Guild of Wardens, enforcers who help keep the common laws. Thanks to Dana Fioris, a former troublemaking comrade who eventually went straight and became a warden herself, Kit has quite the dossier with the wardens and rarely struggles to find work at their guild. And now, alongside Sylphie, Kit has his own scores to settle with the Arbiters, though breaking apart an organization of kidnappers and slavers would be reason enough to destroy them. And we're back! Yeah! Yeah! Oh. Uh, here comes the, the hard stuff. Woo! Alright, here we go. Oh, this is part where everybody dies. <laughs> well, some of I, us. Not, not him. Yeah. A majority of you. Yeah. Um, so, being that some of you will live longer than others, um, let's start with... Uh, do you guys, other than obvious people, let's get some some personal interests out of the way. Are there any people you guys are interested in their epilogues, other than the obvious, like outside the staff bearers, close friends, that kind of thing? Um, outside the obvious, because like I would want to yeah. know like Clay and Mia and Bull and all those. Um, okay. Hold on, let me. I guess I guess Alistair. <laughs> He's not a close friend or anything. Uh, so yes, him. Well, he's a lich, so he'll live forever. But uh, I can't think of anybody who wouldn't be like you know a friend of ours or something. Yeah. But I I don't have anybody. I okay. Yeah. Um. If you think of anybody as I'm going, let me know. Because okay. I'm mostly going to tap on or touch on the uh, stave bearers, the staves themselves, and then like super immediate people. Okay. Um, so actually Clay and Mia were two that I did not think of. So that's oh. good. Uh, as 201 uh, comes and goes... Uh, you each, while staying close, because the Obsidian Collective, um, you each go to your own personal projects and careers and what have you. Um, among the first major things to happen is Marin joins Molinarch Arms as an apprentice to Ansem Molinarch himself. And... In doing so, you are rather quickly indoctrinated into the whirlwind that is the Molinark family. Um, you see Haley, Annie, Ethane, and several others that you meet for the first time. Uh, you uh, you get to spend a lot of time with the Warren family as well. Vosner, Ellen Estelle, their kids, their grandkids. Um, and you are un, not meaning to, uh, but you are slowly brought into what you realize is the 
inner circle of people who may not rule Constanos as a city-state, but people who have some serious control over what happens there. Uh, you end up over time becoming rather close with Charles Grimm and Jessa San, uh, being that they are the major inventors that support uh, Ansem. Anything that he can't do, they can. Um, and you also learn about the sort of gap left by the loss of Lysander, but there is some good news later on down the line as uh, a couple people fill in the, the sort of hole left behind. Uh, one of them is Clay. Uh, nice. As an artificer like Lysander was, uh, and a, an avid enchanter, uh, especially as he gets older, Clay, with his connections to you and people who understand what he can do, and with the support of Lucan, who over time moves from being Ansem's assistant to Clay's assistant, um, Clay becomes very good very fast. And one of the first things that he does once he starts his own business is he asks uh Vosner, Ansem, Ethane, you, several other people to tell him about uh tell him about Lysander so that he does not make the same mistakes. And one of the first things he puts into place for his company for rules is what they can and cannot use. And among them are parts of endangered or sentient, fully intelligent animals, uh, including dragons. Mm, and hopefully hippogriffs. About, yeah, Hippogr I was about yep. to say hippogriffs. Hippogriffs are not allowed. Hearts yeah. at Lauren are not allowed. Um, this does limit some things that he can do, but he treats it as if I can't do it ethically, then it doesn't need to be done. Um, and with that attitude, he becomes respected fairly quickly. Um, in the next five years or so, um, around 205, early 206, Marin starts to split off from the Molinarch arms. And while she is still a partner of the company uh, and a very, very fine crafter of guns, she begins her own branch that eventually becomes fully independent, known as Veneer Arms. And funded in part by help from Molinarch Arms and Kit and Caboodle, uh, it begins to fund uh, and outfit groups like the Crimson Hammer, uh, some offshoots of the Caskers and similar uh, with weapons, supplies, whatever they need to fight against the remainder of the Arbiters and the Heidelund Cult and a few other very not good groups. And this is mostly a private company where Marin does not just sell things to anybody. She doesn't just make things for anybody. It has to be for a cause. And among these causes that you sometimes end up supporting are the 
newly reformed and correctly sort of morally aligned uh, AMC, the Atlantic Mercenary Company, as after the events of Haven, they rework how they work and try to make sure that basically humanitarian crises like those never happen again. Um, this is also in uh, cooperation with the Haldron Company. Uh, with the deck of Wozzeck Lucas, his company falls to his eldest uh, child, which is Evelyn uh, Lucas. She is about 25 at the time of his death. Um, but by the time Marin really gets up and running, uh, Evelyn is in her early 30s. And she is a lot like Wozzeck, but she takes, she takes his deals and his words as law. And so the deal that he made with Kit is upheld. Within the course of a few years, the Haldron Company evens out all of its wage gaps. And the Dalmaric and Manamar people have just as many rights, just as much pay as any other person. Uh, Amnoblin takes a little longer to sort of even out with all of the land that the Haldron Company owns and has taken. Uh, considering that most of their contracts are technically legal and uh, they traded the land for things and wrote it all out on paper. But Evelyn goes back through every single one of these contracts and these sales. And with a combination of Rhea MacAmbaro, Kenna MacAmbaro, uh, Kit of Volfira, Ren of Volfira, and several other people, uh, and even some other members of the Obsidian Collective, she goes through and does one of two things. She either makes them fair or she reverses the deal. A lot of displaced people have been displaced so long that they have no connection to the land anymore, and some of them do indeed sell their land for real money. Um, and the Haldron Company's hold on those places solidifies. And there are some places that Evelyn is not willing to give up, but she is willing to put protections on sections of land so that the people whose ancestors live there can go there too. Um, <clears throat> the Aurora Plate Road is fully... Uh, made public. No stretch of the road belongs to anyone. On paper, it technically belongs to the Haldron Company, but Evelyn hands all control of the road over to Haven and the Sentinels. And thus, the entire Aurora Plate Road is left open and toll-free. Um, Pilgrim's Pass is uh, given a little more... Uh, given a few more guards from the Sentinels and some from the Atlaran Mercenary Company to help protect the ancestral lands and the Dalmariga tenants there. Um, and there is some restoration done on them just to keep them nice and make sure that they're readable forever. Uh, the lands of the Volfira near Colm 
are restored to the Volfira clan. And not everyone leaves uh, the village of Volfira in Irakel, uh, but those who do come back to Amnoblin and they start a village anew. And it will take a long, long time for it to be anything like what it was before it was destroyed. But the addition of new harbors and the expansion of trade routes among the shores of Amnoblin certainly help. And the support of Colm, which is also freed and returned to its original people, uh, definitely helps a lot. Uh, Colm becomes a close ally to the Volfira. And uh, with the help of a person that Kit eventually meets named Anna of Colm, uh, the two towns and Volfira in Irakel all become very close. And they continue to stay close as Anna never ages. I will add in there that yeah. that new village that they start to put together, they do, without ever announcing it, um, they do find one morning that the lands surrounding the village are forever fertile. Gotcha. Yes. Um, but this, this new partner that you and Kenna make in Anna who you never know quite what's going on with her, but you will learn in the coming centuries that she does not age. She is not like you. Like she at does all? not age at all. Oh, Jesus. Um, <clears throat> well, there's one do... immortal we didn't meet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, she is a Phalon, however. Oh. Um, oh. So you do end up meeting her before this whole thing with Colm and Volfira, but as you actually get to know who she is to the uh, Phalon, she's a sword dancer um, and she is one of Quinn's kids. Of course. Um, of course. <laughs> you do learn about her that she was a previous sacrifice of oh. Delendane. Oh. And their messing with her turned her into an elder vampire. Oh. Ah. That mm. makes more sense now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you meet... One day Silas wakes up. One day you wake up, <laughs> Silas is gone. He's off with Anna. It's like, it's time. It's time. <laughs> you, you, guys, uh, you guys get to know her and her wife and uh, her friends who were the people who fucked up the Seth and Hyde and destroyed it. Uh, and they were friends with Jude. Um, this was the runaway campaign. Yeah, yeah. Anna was the hot vampire wife. Uh, and uh, even after those friends are gone, Anna remains a pretty steadfast supporter of not just Volfira, but the Obsidian Collective, because she believes in pretty much what you guys do. Um, but she is rather a lonely person after everyone else is gone. Um, as for, let's scoot off down to Moore's Rest. Um, 
Moore's Rest, keeping its name, thanks to Justine, and under her watch, beginning to bloom into the town that it never got to be, uh, begins to reclaim some of the uh, some of the former glory of pre-calamity towns, uh, being built in a place uh, useful for ships and whatnot, but in an otherwise pretty uh, inhospitable place and cliffs and mountains and whatnot, uh, Moore's Rest begins to expand onto another island nearby, uh, one with more fertile land and more flat land. Uh, and while Moore's Rest grows very big, its population doesn't explode. So even though it becomes widely spread out, it, it's never like a big city. I, I um, do want to uh, ask in like the coming years, uh, the place where the Altera house used to be and burned down. I want to uh, ask Kit to plant an apple tree there. Done. Yeah. Um, the Altera estate, uh, having its own little sort of flat patch of rocky land, um, is being that Alistair is on paper gone, and so is Wedna and everything. Uh, the land then falls to basically next of kin, which would be Marin because you're the older one. Um, so it is not hard to get a hold of that land and do whatever you want with it. Uh, Justine also spends some time uh, sort of fixing up the town. And after you have the apple tree planted there, uh, Justine asks if Kit will expand it into an orchard and have it be free for anyone to visit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, she does a lot of uh, more structural rebuilding, but eventually beautification of Moore's Rest. And uh, one of the first things to go is like half of Bower Castle. Uh, she orders it turned into something else. Um, eventually it becomes a, uh, it becomes twofold. It becomes a barracks for uh, Moore's Rest's soldiers and sailors uh, and the bottom part of this sectioned off piece uh, also becomes a bit of almost like a community sort of center place. Um, it is a place that Justine spends a lot of time. Being that she is a queen of a very small city-state uh, she gives her people access to her. And she spends a lot of time there listening to them. Um, among her first decrees as queen is essentially the people who used to be in charge, like they were way too distant. So now when you have a problem, an actual problem, you talk to me. Um, and that, that works pretty well for a small city state. Um, she does have her own set of problems with Othedriel, uh, though her slight friendship with the prince of Othedriel, because she was supposed to marry him, uh, does help keep too much from happening. Uh, sadly, however, 
during Justine's later life that Prince is assassinated and her good graces with Othedriel are gone. Justine ends up uh, marrying a lovely woman, a common woman, uh, who is just from Moore's Rest. She, she doesn't consider herself anything special and is very sort of gentle and demure and Justine likes that she's a break from the crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's nice. Uh, mm-hmm. Justine does end up adopting kids later on and uh, they will carry on the royal line. Because, you know, as not Silas II's daughter, she already broke the line. So Right, yeah. yeah. Um see what next uh the crimson hammer uh still maintains its uh maintains its presence in moore's rest and of course in amnoblin they help out a lot with uh volfira and colm and haven uh you guys get maybe not a direct hand but a pretty close hand in helping haven start to rebuild uh the town sort of shrinks at first as the outer areas are abandoned for a while because there's not enough people left to sprawl out over all those spaces um but it is slowly repaired and brought back to what the Dalmarig want it to be for probably the span of a hundred years since uh, 100 E1AC uh, to 200 when you guys saw it, it was known as the Painted Haven, a place that Skull had taken over and made up to be kitschy and touristy and gross. But now that it is back in the hands of the Dalmarig it becomes a quieter, more reverent place. And it's a place that I imagine a few of you spend vacations at because it's just a way. Um, let's see. Mia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Mia, uh, after returning a few times to Notalum Temple, where she, uh, her monastery, uh, she becomes a moderately well-known monk of Ayun. Uh, But she spends a lot of her time helping out the Obsidian Collective, Um, spends a lot of time with Clay. Uh, They're just sort of inseparable a lot of times. And being that she spends so much time with him she volunteers to test out a lot of his inventions which comes with a few close calls but clay doesn't throw anything at her that he's like this might kill you um she i wouldn't say she ever becomes famous but she is respected and she actually ends up learning quite a bit from Ellen Estelle, as Ellen Estelle is a priestess of Ayun. And uh, in, in the coming years after uh, Vosner and Ellen Estelle pass away, uh, Mia moves her sort of membership to Wynan Temple in Constanos and spends pretty much the rest of her life there. 
Um, Clay also moves to Constano, stays there. Um, Vosner uh, passes away about 10 years after the events uh, at the Realm Gate at the pretty fucking old for an orc age of 96. Uh, he leaves behind his, you know, small but very loyal family, and Ellen Estel does not take long to follow him. Um, in Vosner's place, Haley Molinark becomes High Graver of the Kestrel Mace, and in doing so, Sonnering uh, is decided by the Obsidian Collective to become the symbol of the High Graver. And part of that is not necessarily to always have control of the Castrol Mace, but it is to help in the vetting process of future bearers. Uh, in this position, this person must be approved by the Kestrel Mace, the city of Constanos, the Obsidian Collective, the Raven Queen herself, and a couple other points of uh, admission. So it's a safe bet that you'll always have somebody fairly trustworthy holding Sonnering. Um, let's see. Ah, notes. Um... <laughs> Uh, Squall, as I mentioned before, becomes the symbol of the chaser captain. Again, also to make sure that you always have connections with uh, powerful and trustworthy people, but can also vet who holds Squall. Um, Ethane outlives Ansem by quite a bit. Uh, Ansem eventually passes away in uh, 216. And leaves Molinark arms to Haley Mol or not Haley, Annie Molinark. And she is still partners with Marin. Uh Ithane retires not too long after Ansem passes away, but he remains the chaser captain. Uh he has most of mostly he gives most of his work to trusted chasers, but he still looks over them. Uh, and he trains his own uh, replacement for whenever he passes away as well. Um, do, 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 do. Who else? Oh, I skipped a bit. Uh, go away, fly. Uh, in 209, uh, Artesia Veneer is born. Mm -hmm. And she becomes quite the Hellion, mm -hmm. who does not want to be like her mother at all. And ends up being exactly like ends her. Ends up being exactly <laughs> like her. Yep. And she eventually does take on Flameheart uh, way, way later. Like 80 years later. <laughs> um, also in 211, Ephraim Veneer is born. Ephraim? Oh my god, that's a great name. Oh my what? god, no! Hold on, hold on, hold on! It's No, it's fucking stupid. Like, don't get me wrong, but it's like it, Artesia and Ephraim. Yes! Those go together perfectly. Yeah. They're the well, name. Ar Artesia was uh, Marin's mom's name. Oh. Uh, she pulled and, a Harry uh, Potter. 
Mm. Yeah. And, and uh, Ephraim is Silas's middle name. Yeah. Oh. God. Remember when I told you that yes. was Silas's middle name? And then name? you were like, like that's, that's the worst name, name ever. It, I mean, Fuck it is. You. It is, but yeah. It's <laughs> um, just cute. But uh, Ephraim is a quiet, bookish kid. Of who, course. Who eventually, uh, he does not become Keladir's next bearer. Uh, Silas asks him if he would ever be interested in... While Ephraim would, if there was no one else, uh, Silas does eventually pass Keladir on to someone mildly similar to himself, but someone who is also merciful. Uh, it leaves the Veneer family, whereas or she leaves the Veneer family, but stays close with Flameheart and later on Liam, Leon Veneer. Liam. <laughs> Should have named him Liam. Yeah. Le- 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 Liam. Le- 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 um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Oop, do. I don't know. I've got some more here, but do you guys have any questions so far? Any Anything you want to know about? I don't have any questions. Not so far. Okay. Sylphie it is. Uh, <laughs> uh, Captain Merrigan Ziegler uh, gets a pretty good reputation over time. Honest, trustworthy, crew first. Uh, and eventually earns the nickname Riggs from Sylphie because Merrigan. Mm. Um, Riggy Stardust. No, absolutely not. Fuck you. <laughs> uh he remains sort of the head of Kit's company for a long, long time. Um, but spends a lot of his off time messing around with Sylphie. Because, obviously. Uh, the two of them start off with what is pretty much a roller coaster of a relationship. And uh, Sylphie, anytime she's not, you know, messing with him, uh, actually spends a lot of her time with the Phelan caravan, but also spends a good chunk of it in Irakel uh, as a little bit of a conservationist. Um, as one of the favorites of Tal Dunost, as she gets older, she starts to understand the gravity of the modern world versus the natural world. And one of you would probably be there to witness her the first time she sees like a trash pack out on the open uh on the open ocean and uh it changes something in her as she sees this not just as a favorite of Tal Donost but just as a person with the friends that she has and she begins to help Kit and Kenna not just with their replanting um, but also starts cleaning up beaches and uh, starts talking with people who are biologists and that sort of thing, looking into the impact on marine life. And it it's weird because it kind of comes out of nowhere, uh, especially for you, Marin, when Sylphie first comes to you and says, I've started doing this stuff. Did you know what happens to seals when they get stuck stuff stuck around their neck? <laughs> Do you know about the penguins and uh the penguins it's just it's penguins. just like it's just like whoa where did this come from 
but you learn about your sister something that i'm pretty sure you already knew um that when she finds a cause to champion she will fucking go hard and the ocean and her relationship with Taldenos just drive her to be very protective and her relationship with Taldenos does improve significantly over time after seeing Taldonos save her from falling against Ilarka the way that she tried to but couldn't when Alistair disintegrated her, she finally accepts what happened and loses her grudge. And over the coming years between sailing with Ziegler, looking after Irakel, uh, learning more about the natural world, she and Taldenost begin to have a bit of a mother-daughter relationship and Sylphie's abilities as a paladin of Taldenost grow exponentially. Um, Sometimes she uses it for helping along Ziegler whenever they're out sailing. Other times she uses it to fuck up people who mess up a beach. All kinds of shit. Um, but most of most of her life is spent out of the limelight. Even though the Phelan caravan is fairly uh, famous, no one member among them is famous, and she kind of likes it that way. Um, she just sort of keeps to herself on the on the general scale, but the things that she sets in motion have lasting impacts. Um, among them being Kit's company, uh, and a bit of a a bit of a policy in place for the company that helps with conservation efforts and mm -hmm. also Sylphie never has her own kids. Um, but she and Ziegler kind of follow in Quinn's footsteps, just adopting anything that moves eventually, <laughs> especially when she's older. Um, and she ends up sending quite a few kids out into the world with a similar reverence for Taldunost, not as a goddess, but as a force of nature and for the sea and for the land. And these kids, Kit will be alive to see, uh, go on to do great things in conservation and whatnot, especially as the industrial era of the world of Atlaren begins. Uh, by the year 501, uh, some of these descendants will have created entire conservation organizations. And they are sort of the last line of defense between the world of smoke and machines and the world of grass and water. They, the two of them, Ziegler and Sylphie, sort of after he retires, a little bit younger because he can, he has the money, um, they hand off uh, Ziegler's mantle to uh, one, of, uh, one of Ziegler's finest sailors. Uh, assuring Kit that this person is just as dedicated and has been sailing with them for 20 years. Um, I'm sure they... I will threaten them. <laughs> sure. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, 
they retire to the <laughs> Phalon caravan and Ziegler keeps a couple of his own personal ships uh, and uses them to help the Phalon uh, travel around. So he never has to leave the sea and they can go where they will and Sylphie will be with them. Um, let's see. Uh, Quinn does pass away about 20 years after the events of mm -hmm. the Realm Gate. Um, and I think it's safe to say that that is one of the biggest gut punches in the Phalon Caravan. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, as I mentioned before, Vesper is handed to one of his kids and kept within the caravan. Uh, I feel like I'm starting to repeat myself a little bit. Uh, You're fine. You're doing great. Thanks. Uh, Uh, while you guys didn't get to know him very well, uh, Dr. Charles Grimm does leave a lasting effect on the Obsidian Collective, even after he passes away a few years later. Um, as the husband of Jessa San, he is also one of the finest inventors that Atlaren will ever see. And he leaves the Obsidian Collective a gift his patents to the auto writer and the printing press. Mm. Oh, and shit. We're going to make such, a lot of money. <laughs> as such, uh, any use of these patents, because they are free to use, but you must pay royalty to use them. Yeah. Um, all of these royalties fund the Obsidian Collective. Um, because Charles, again, while he didn't know many of you very well outside of Ithane and Haley, uh, he very much believed in what you were doing. And he understood that his and Ansem and Jessa's contributions to the world were also going to hurt it because of the industrial era. And so he hoped that this would help in the future. Um, beyond the lifetimes of most of the me members of the Obsidian Collective, Jessison also passes away close to the age of 500. Um, she leaves several of her patents for the Obsidian Collective as well. Uh, but one of her biggest contributions to the world at large is the rediscovery of the magical airship. There were only five left after the Calamity. And close to the end of her life, with the help of her children and grandchildren, Jessa rediscovered the technology behind creating enchanted airships. And so around 500, when our next campaign begins, there are probably going to be a few score of these airships in the world because they're very hard to make, but they're now makeable again. Uh, and that is one of the patents that the Obsidian Collective gets. So it's a lot of money. Um, mm -hmm. Let's see. Um, the, of course, through the Veneer family, uh, the Warrens and the Molinarchs stay close with the Collective uh, for a long time. And in Annie's lifetime and part of Marin's, because I think you'll actually outlive Annie. Um, yeah, we're she, about the same age, I guess. So. 
yeah, and she's human, so. Um, she ends up, with your help, really expanding the vast array of armaments that are possible to wield. And it comes with consequences, good and bad. There is no controlling people who get a hold of a gun and figure out how to pull it apart and make it. While you guys have patents and Ansem being the original creator, you can't stop other arms companies from popping up. And while you control the majority, you can't stop everything. And it's not long before uh, places in the world where gunpowder was never heard of are gun shops. Um, by the year 501, well after Marin's time, uh, some places in the world are almost akin to the Wild West for how much access there is to guns. And while the Molinarch and Veneer Arms companies both still exist, they still hold on to their dedication to not selling these, not tools, but weapons to just anyone. But you can't stop other people. Um, <clears throat> what else? Uh, the Caskers organization. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about Carol and Kit. Okay. Uh, Carol is a Goliath. So, well, half Goliath. His lifespan is not the longest. Mm -hmm. um, so, talk to me about how that happens. Uh, Carol and Kit. So, after Kit spends a few years, like, wandering around, obviously. I don't think Kit ever stops wandering. It's just sort of a thing that he does. But I think um, they... With the understanding that the both of them are busy and that, you know, Kit has places to be and the Obsidian Collective and stuff like that, there is an understanding between them that um, they are free to meet other people as well. Um, so they practice polyamory. And mm. uh, just in case, you know, Carol needs someone else who's bookish because Kit is not that person. <laughs> uh, and... Um, and then on top of that, uh, within, within a couple years of everything ending, Kit finally does achieve his timeless body. Um, and he ceases aging and he, the, at first he's extremely excited that he finally did it because he's been working on it. <laughs> and then the gravity of that settles in. As he watches everybody around him slowly get older and older. Um, not going to cry yet. And uh, the one thing that always... I think that as Carol gets towards... Gets older, Kit tries to spend as much time with him as he can. Um, and Carol's home, where he was in Sigurayafir? Yes. Uh, Carol's home in Sigurayafir is always marked by the largest frost apple tree that anyone has ever seen because um, Kit has a tendency to pump more energy into it every time he's there. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine this is very much like my neighbor Totoro, like fucking huge tree. Mm -hmm. 
um, to the point where it's probably overtaking sections of the house where it's like grown around some of the stone. I'm sure someone, Carol has enough money to be like, okay, let's reorganize here. No, Uh, I would say it's, it's grown in such a way that it's not blocking the windows. Kit would be careful. It's not blocking the windows and it's not causing damage to the building. It's actually part of the home. Um, kind of a, what Kit has always been gunning for is a balance between people and nature. Um, I love that that's the theme of the end of this game. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I'm a little D&D heart. Yeah. And then I'd say um, probably when Carol finally passes, uh, Kit leaves the leaves the home to Carol's family um, and yeah, probably I, has a, a marker left there that he creates and mm-hmm. just disappears. Yeah. Um, Carol, being that you guys do practice polyamory, I would say he does end up having his own kids. Okay. Uh, up to you how involved you are with them. But I'd say I'm probably like... I'd be like that really cool aunt that comes to stay. <laughs> like I, yeah, yeah. They would um, know me well enough to like we'd be family, but it they wouldn't be like, oh, you know, Kit's gonna be here for dinner every day. Like it's not gonna be yeah, that kind no. of thing. Um, no, he he has kids with a couple different people, and you do know these people, and they they all sort of they're all caskers. Uh, that's how they mm-hmm. met each other, but. Um, they all have their own, like, it takes a village mentality about Mm -hmm. their kids. So it doesn't matter whose kid they really are. They're all sort of together. Um, But uh, one of uh, Carol's daughters, probably the youngest, uh, named after his mother, uh, Meriden, uh, Mary, she ends up sort of taking over for him as her older siblings go off and do their thing and she carries on the Anakalatai family being the only uh or being that carol was the only descendant of mary and maumak and uh through her and her descendants kit always has a connection to the caskers and their loyalty to moore's rest and the obsidian collective is solidified even as years down the line the caskers guild becomes smaller and smaller um previously uh, as a worldwide organization for a very very long time uh the caskers will continue to thrive but shrink mm-hmm. because you just don't need as many of them anymore travel and shipping become easier and safer and there's less need for smugglers and long distance missions and that sort of thing especially as with the advent of more and more machines the brewing of alcohol becomes easier to do on mass uh being that they are bootleggers at heart uh the caskers get into a few more legal means of making money uh but kit will be around to see this that Uh, By the year 501, because alcohol is so widespread, 
Uh, there are a few places that undergo prohibition mm -hmm. and the caskers capitalize on it. Mm -hmm. I, I would also say during those years, while the, while the caskers are diminishing, um, the Carol's family never finds the personal safe empty in the house because Kit knows how to get into it. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Sometimes um, there's other things in there. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe a handful of acorns or like something stupid. <laughs> it's yes. just like one antler. And you're just like, what the <laughs> Yeah. You just, yeah. You're like, we need grocery money. And you're like, why are there mushrooms in here? <laughs> uh, but the, the Anakalatai family uh, does remain sort of the head of the Caskers. Uh, previously, they were just the head of Harris. But as they shrink, they sort of combine their leadership in one place. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, I'm going to go into this a little more because it's going to have to do with the next campaign. And okay. I think it'll be interesting to certain persons here. Um, Probably not me. Yeah. Lauren Mercenary. It'll be interesting to you eventually. Oh, okay. Trust me. Okay. Um, the Lauren Mercenary Company, the AMC, uh, rocked by political backlash from the Siege of Haven and helping the Haldron Company. Uh, as I said before, undergoes a major internal reorganization, and a lot of their leadership stru uh, structure is dismissed, as their connection with the Obsidian Collective, Haven, the Caskers, and a document known as the Haven Charter uh, forces them to undergo uh, just drastic changes in how they work. Um, the Haven Charter basically states that the AMC would not contract, contract out its private army during peacetime, uh, will not allow, allow the army to participate in wars until 100 days after a public declaration of war. Uh, and it also would require all contracting of private military and large mercenary groups to be approved by a majority of the AMC's administration and agreed upon by the majority of its generals. Uh, soldiers could never be forced to participate in political operations. Uh, basically, if their homeland was on the line, they could say, nope, I'm not helping. Um, this, in turn, leads the AMC to actually listen to their soldiers more and not undertake operations that would cause mass desertions, mutinies, or unrest. Uh, this adds to their reputation uh, with the Obsidian Collective and the Caskers over time and with the Wardens. Uh, the Haven Charter also lays out the AMC's freedom to take small contracts for anything uh, without political backlash because mercenaries may pick and choose whatever they want. It's not the AMC's responsibility what they do. Uh, they just pay them. Um, However, in the event of major threats, uh, especially if encouraged by the Obsidian Collective or similar, uh, the AMC could recruit, deploy, contract, and react in defense of the common good uh, without warning. Uh, these more ethical standards lead to the AMC repairing a lot of its reputation, but also it kind of leads to some reputation of having lazy soldiers. Um, you know, you win some, you lose some. Mm -hmm. uh, 
This combined with their mercenary ranking system expansion uh, in 249 uh, led to some of their upper level mercenaries being seen as kind of snobbish and entitled. Uh, but as we get into the next campaign, you'll also see that some ranks of mercenaries are considered more highly than others, especially the steel rank. Uh, by 501, the AMC will have offices in almost every town and a good majority of villages. Uh, most of the lower level mercenaries working for them, non-soldiers, but uh, members, would generally be considered inexperienced newbies, uh, but the guild would always go to great lengths to fix their messes, so they're generally trustworthy. Uh, the dedication and sort of moral improvements lead to the AMC being welcomed back in Haven eventually. Um, but Haven will still remain solidly under the control of the Elder Druid and the Dalmaric. Rhea will also achieve Timeless Body uh, before she's too old, uh, probably around the time she turns like 38 or something. Uh, so it'll, it'll be a while, but she'll be around a long time. Um, let's see. And uh, the AMC will also take the counsel of Kenemac Ambero, being that she was the one up against them in Haven. So that and helps. She's the OG bad bitch, so like... Yes. Yeah. Uh, Kenna, I should say. Oh, yeah. Um... You, as the person who spends probably the most time with her, uh, Kit will learn that she is indeed still immortal. Mm -hmm. She is not just a timeless body druid, but she's not a god. Um, there isn't really a word for the sort of weird line she rides between god and person other than demigod, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, but she's going to be around even long after Kit's gone. That much is clear. Uh, because I don't kill my first character. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else am I missing? Oh, the future of the Obsidian Collective. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, oh, yes. I mean, I was waiting till I had other stuff wrapped up to get mm -hmm. into it. Um, the original members of the Obsidian Collective obviously eventually pass away. Um, food, uh, among them, Silas Moore III, also known as Silas Veneer, passes away in the year 280. He is 106. Damn. Thanks to oh. Keladir, he mm -hmm. lives a life free of sickness and lives a very long time, long enough to... Are you okay, Ben? <laughs> that's like, that's like literally the best gift you could ever give someone. Yeah. A life free of sickness. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Keladir. Yeah. Thanks, um, Keladir. Uh, he, uh, living to 106, he spends the rest of his life with Marin, and he ends up living to see not just his grandchildren, but his great-grandchildren. And he lives to see uh, a life of pretty much peace and privacy for himself, of his wife becoming this 
maybe not like world famous, but very well respected gunsmith and supporter of humanitarian causes. And he gets to see his daughter, uh, Ari, become slowly over time, become more and more used to the idea of becoming Flameheart's bearer. And it is decided before he's gone that she will be the next in line. Um, his son, Ephraim, spends uh, his time with both Marin and Silas during their last days, taking care of them, uh, along with his own children. <laughs> oh no. Um, <laughs> and um, Marin, uh, Alicia, uh, oh. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Astrid, where are Silas and Marin buried? Um. I think I would leave where Silas wants to go to him because I'm never going to make a decision for him. Um, but Marin wants to be cremated. Okay. Because fire. <laughs> I like it. We spent our life that way, so might as well go out too that way. Go out little with a yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, where where are her ashes taken to? Oh. If you. Huh. If you don't mind, I'll take care of that for you. Yeah, go for it, dude. Okay. Um, well, we'll get to we'll get to like the other stuff that Kit does, and then I will. That's the last part I'm going to talk about. Okay. Um, Silas chooses a similar. Uh, a similar uh, thing where he he asks for half of his ashes to be sent with Marin's wherever she goes. Okay. The other half are spread. Oh no! <laughs> are Sorry. spread around a little cabin north of Seager Ray Fair, oh, their no. vacation home <laughs> in Silas's favorite place but also a small bit is taken to the grounds of the obsidian collective headquarters and at his wishes ephraim places them beneath a flagstone in the floor so that he can always be there and after he passes away and Kaladir goes on to her next bearer, who she's already been working with for years. She is often found at that cabin. Just visiting. We'll cry. We'll cry. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. And, uh, oh, Jesus Christ. Nine years later. <laughs> Nine years later, almost to the day, Marin follows. Of course, nine years. That was unintentional. <laughs> that was unintentional. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Uh, <clears throat> um, 
let's just go down the list, shall we? Uh, Burkana, obviously, with Kenna, uh, continues at her side, and Kit would see that after 200 years of being each other's enemy, of being constantly in struggle with each other as Kenna carried the staff around, Burkana has become her closest confidant. And even as you see her have relationships with other people, women mostly, um, none of them ever come close to what she has with Burkana as her partner, her, her person. It's never romantic, much like men, all of you with your staves. It's platonic, but it is something much deeper than friendship, siblings, whatever. It is not often that Burkana leaves her side, and it is very common to see them together in silence, just existing. And that lasts for centuries. Nyx, as your partner, is everywhere and nowhere to be found all the time. <laughs> yeah. And his relationship with you is... It is a bit like having another little brother, one who's much mm -hmm. crazier. Um, and he loves Ren to no end. You three have just this unspoken brotherhood between you. And eventually Ren does achieve his timeless body. Um, it takes quite a while, mm -hmm. but he does manage. And once that happens, Nyx is elated because he gets to keep his brothers for hundreds of years. And being that Ren no longer has to worry about this mortality for such a long time, he becomes freer. He's more spontaneous, more willing to try anything. And there are times when it's you and Ren, there are times when it's Ren and Nyx, there's times when it's you and Nyx, and sometimes it's all three of you just spreading havoc wherever you will. But uh, after a couple centuries, Nyx finds his wanderlust only getting stronger. And while he is always there at your beck and call and always there at Ren's, he begins to go off and experience things for himself much more. And he makes new friends and he checks in on the other staves. He checks in with Flameheart quite a lot. And by the year 501, uh, Nyx and Kit are very much there whenever the other needs them. But Nyx is known to be a wanderer a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. He even finds a chance with other friends to visit the plane of water, the plane of fire. He sees it all. And it also helps having a, uh, a certain friend named Dietrich Arnolf who can teach him about some of that stuff. <laughs> um, 
I should say that Arnolf does pop up a few more times in uh, in Marin's life, uh, especially when her someone kids gets are married. Yeah, kids yeah. <laughs> get married. Um, but there is a point close to the end of Marin's life after Silas is gone, where Arnolf comes to you, and he doesn't look a day older. And he assures you in his weird German accent <laughs> that he will be keeping an eye on your family and repaying what your mother gave him. Uh, Nova is the token non-binary staff because it has to be. Um, <laughs> Nova sticks with D for the rest of her life, of course, and D continues on her lifelong project of rebuilding Hjolmanir um, and rebuilding uh, and restoring Hesperus's name. After the events of 200, uh, it becomes more widely known, partly thanks to uh, the killing of Ilarka and partly thanks to D's influence that during the dissolution, Hesperus did not abandon his people like many thought. He was imprisoned by the outside gods and unable to help them. And this knowledge, along with what Hesperus has done to try to help since, begins to restore his name. Uh, Dee passes on her mantle and the staff to her adopted son, Ezra, and he continues to pass it down to worthy people. It does, being that she never has children, it does leave her family line, but it does stay in Ezra's family line. Um, let's see, actually, I should say, uh, by the year 501, uh, other than, of course, Burkana and Nyx, uh, Flameheart falls into the hands of Leon Veneer who will be one of the youngest bearers other than Marin. Nova, 27, as of 501. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, Nova goes to a tabaxi uh, whose full name is Sun Dappled Leaves, or Lee for short. Uh, she will be among the youngest bearers, period, at 19. Uh, Sonnering, staying within, uh, staying within the uh, Pyrevale Temple for the High Graver, and also being influenced by Silas, who spends some of his life working with them, uh, remains the symbol of the High Graver, and eventually falls to Armin Messer Kestrel, uh, who is not related to Vostner, but takes the name Kestrel as he is part of the order. Um, he will be one of the most trustworthy members of the Obsidian Collective. Uh, not that the others aren't, but, you know. Uh, Keladir, it leaves the Veneer family after Silas. And at one point eventually enters Justine's family, but leaves it. Um, 
She spends some time in the Pyrevale Temple. There are even short stints of time where she does not have a bearer and she's waiting for someone. Uh, there are some times when the staves go without a bearer for a little while while the Obsidian Collective seeks out a new one. Um, by 501, she becomes the partner to Roan Moore Nial back into Justine's family. Um, the Moore uh, family expands after Justine. Um, and uh, Moore Nial, which is a new branch of the family, uh, is based in Constanos. And so Roan becomes just about the perfect match. She is a lot like Silas, even though she never knew him. Yeah. Uh, Squall stays in the Molinarch family uh, and also stays the symbol of the chaser captain. As of 501, she becomes the partner to a similarly loose cannon vigilante bitch named Arabelle Molinarch. Um, she is fittingly a half-elf barbarian. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, Vesper, however, undergoes perhaps the most trying of the staves time. Uh, let me grab her thing. In the year 294, five years after Marin passes away, uh, Vesper is given to Yulia Hartstead, uh, a grandchild of Quinn. Uh, the Obsidian Collective approves the passing of Vesper, and Yulia is much like Quinn, maybe a little more fiery. Um, but Kit and Kenna in particular are there to witness a terrible event as the Phelan caravan, uh, while with uh, some of Ziegler's uh, descendants traveling around, uh, they cross from Port Natalene to Volfira for a visit, being that both places are pretty close, uh, or the caravan is close with Volfira. Uh, their ships are attacked. Uh, at this point, caravan regulars, not counting extended family and those who only travel with them occasionally, number around 70. Of the small fleets, only one ship escapes uh, with about 30 Phelan caravan members aboard. Wow. All of their wagons and animals are lost to the sea. Uh, thanks to their longtime connection with the members of the Obsidian Collective and Yulia being among the survivors, and of course their connection with Volfira, they're able to regroup with extended family and start over. But Yulia, who loses, who lost her husband, both of her children, and many other family members, would never be the same. When she eventually learned that this had been the work of an Othedrian fleet, she demanded that the collective retaliate. The collective, while many wanted to help her, they knew that this was very difficult political uh, turmoil that they could get into, and they hesitated. 
However, Yulia, not waiting for them, broke away from Quinn's tradition of peace and mercy. And she secretly drained the collective's treasury. And this was the- Oh, hey, Marin. <laughs> she, uh, she recruited the Atlaran Mercenary Company's private army. Uh, this is another point at which they improve upon the Haven Charter, just P.S. Uh, but in this particular instance, being that Othedriel and Harris, uh, Port Nataline specifically, had been at war for a long time, uh, they did join her willingly. And she managed to keep everything pretty quiet, even as she took the AMC to an Othedrian island off the co east coast of Harris. Uh, Caladros, and she sacked a fortress in town there. However, the collateral damage was that a lot of innocent people died, along with the naval officers that she actually meant to kill. Uh, rumors flew after this, and the Obsidian Collective had to do a lot of damage control because of it. Uh, the place was left in flames after the AMC left and went back to their normal business. Uh, some said that Yulia personally walked into the fortress and slaughtered the officers who headed that attack. Um, the Obsidian Collective's members immediately convened and hunted Yulia down with the Sentinels and a tip from the AMC who were no longer loyal to her once their contract was complete. Uh, immediately upon her arrest, Vesper was separated from her and eventually stripped from her entirely. Uh, each were interrogated about what happened, and uh, Yulia was unapologetic, freely admitting to everything. And while she did regret innocent lives lost, and of course, further heightening of tensions between Othedra and Port Nataline, she had no remorse for anything she had done. Vesper, on the other hand, was inconsolable. She admitting uh, she admitted to going along with Yulia's plans of her own volition at first, wanting revenge for the people she loved. But as she watched Yulia just cut a fiery sway through this town and hurt people who didn't deserve it, she began to pull back and take her power from Yulia. But Yulia, already an accomplished magician on her own, continued. Vesper admitted that she did want the officers dead too, but not so many innocent people. Uh, with the wardens, Port Nataline, the Sentinels, the Caskers, Caladrosian nations pressing in on them, the Obsidian Collective eventually reached the decision to permanently strip Yulia of her power and Vesper, never returning it. Yulia was eventually allowed to go free, because how could you blame her? Especially when so many, many members of the Obsidian Collective were close with the Phalon. Um, she never returned to the caravan, however. Eventually, she disappeared entirely, believed wandering or dead. Vesper was kept in the custody of Kenna and Kit until 299, when the new Phalon leader, one of Yulia's distant cousins, requested Vesper be returned to her family. 
she was allowed to return unbound and finally chose her new bearer among the Phelan in 305. Because of this incident and the political and military fallout of what Yulia did, the Obsidian Collective formed a code of ethics for the organization named the Originum Ex Elementis in 306. These tenets outlined the powers of the staff bearers and limitations on what they could and could not involve themselves in without majority backing. These tenets laid out situations in which a bearer could be stripped of their staff, the vetting process for new bearers, the staves themselves already given free agency and voting power by the collective, were cemented for posterity, not just as tools, but people. Echo, being the only one without a sentient staff, had already always been a tiebreaker, but this was laid down in writing at the core of the tenets. In 323, Originum Ex Elementus was expanded to lay out the vetting process for the bearers uh, further and stated that a new bearer had to be approved by large majority, at least 14 of the 17 members. Uh, among which had to be the staff's opposite and complementary staves. Mm. Thanks to uh, the close per uh, working relationships and personal relationships among the Obsidian Collective, the Originum Ex Elementus rarely had to be used to block a member's actions or resolve a voting issue. Um, the Obsidian Collective became a sort of symbol of uh, cooperation for the world, as they so rarely disagreed on things. Uh, while unanimous votes didn't always happen, members were always supportive of each other. By the year 501, the Obsidian Collective has had only three major incidents resulting in bearers being stripped of their power, and all three had to do with the abuse of the stave's power for personal reasons. Uh, none of the staves have a track record of major issues. Squall is a little iffy, loose cannon and all that. Uh, has a record of minor incidents, mostly due to being rebellious but good-natured. Uh, and kicking the asses of people who deserve it. Uh, also in the year 501, the Haldron Company is a world-leading a company in their particular industry. Uh, they are very heavily relied on, uh, especially by uh, airship travelers, uh, regular ship travelers, because being a canning company and people who deal with the preservation of food, they basically ended scurvy. Uh, so that's fun. Let's see. Sell the lemons that like, rest Yeah. <laughs> Kit has been planting oranges and lemons everywhere. But uh, the Holdron Company is one of the few in the world with true equal wages by 501. And this is due in part to the honor of the Lucas family, but also the threats of Kit. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. If you don't want your factory full of shark chum, <laughs> shark. you do what I tell you. Yep. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, That's right. Let's see. Uh huh. I skipped anything. Uh. 
Um, I will say for uh, Kenna, while she does spend a lot of her time with kids, um, Kit will notice over time that she and Burkana, uh, beyond their reforestation projects, they spend a lot of time wandering aimlessly. Mm -hmm. And this is due in part to the fact that Kenna has been a figure on the world stage for her entire life. And she is finally free to do anything she wants. And as Kit spends more time with her and gets to know her better as a person, you learn that Kenna's a little bit of a sad person. She doesn't share everything with you, but she does share a lot of her memories from the Calamity and her fights with Senka and then Senna. She shares with you how relieved she is that Senna is home. And as you guys go on and you watch the original members of the Obsidian Collective pass away, and welcome in the new members and look after families and you lose Carol and she loses a couple people she cares about. She confides in you occasionally how being immortal has never appealed to her. Mm -hmm. But she takes it because she doesn't like the alternative. She likes control. Mm -hmm. And even if that control means she has to outlive everyone, she prefers it this way because she always has memories. And it is not uncommon to catch her at the graves of the original collective, much like Kaladir mm -hmm. and honestly all of the staves they visit their original bearers often by the year 501 she is no longer a public figure at all some people do recognize her occasionally and she travels everywhere but it's generally understood that she just wants to be left to her own devices and she is still a raging bitch when it comes to the environment but anywhere there is a tree or space for a tree you can be sure kenamek ambro will show up there eventually and i think that is pretty much all i had How about you, Marin? Got anything else? Um, Any hopes for the future of the veneers? And um, I think the only thing. When does Sylphie die? Is it before Marin or after? I think it might be shortly before because she's technically older than you. Oh, yeah, that's right. right. She, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, when Marin kind of knows that it's coming to the end. Uh, shit, oh man, god damn it. <laughs> <laughs>
Fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> um, when Mayor knows that it's like coming close to the end for her, she'll um, she'll call on Ted and uh, just ask them if she she definitely wants to see Silas and everything and she'd love it if she was with him but ultimately she wants to be with Sylvie for as long as she can I think it's not too long after Sylvie's gone that Marin knows losing Silas was already hard enough but as Sylvie and Marin have said where one goes so does the other they were never meant to be apart. So when Sylphie is gone, Marin calls upon Fearin, Ted. And as a fairly regular visitor and friend, they come when called. And they have not changed a bit. Still this beautiful, handsome drow with the long white hair and the loose tunic and whatnot. And when you request this of them, they tell you in no uncertain terms, you and those you love will be together. And it's in Marin's very final days where she's with Ephraim and several other members of this big extended family that Fearin comes back and this time their outfit is black, fully black. And they tell you again, you are going exactly where you need to be. I promise. No being lost this time. Marin passes away. How am I going to do the rest of this now? <laughs> Just laugh or you'll cry. <laughs> I can do both at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, no. Oh, no. Fear it. No, Ted. Oh, God. Okay. All right. Glasses are coming off because that's going to be a thing. Yeah. My glasses <sighs> are starting to fog up. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Kit's got a couple of things before we tackle that. (laughs) Um, So obviously Kit continues to work with Kenna and reforest Irakel. He is a big proponent of uh, food, trees, and things like that. So everywhere he goes, he plants whatever type of tree is uh, the best for that area. 
Um, and he also spends time in areas doing the eight hour plant growth to uh, create, you know, a more lush landscape um, and continues to do that forever. Uh, and uh, he does any Elusir or anybody else who needs a new beginning is directed uh, that they save from Lachmanos is directed to Valfira, where they will always have a job with the Kitten Caputo company. Um if they so choose. Um, and I would like to think that Valfira eventually becomes known as the place you go when you want to start over. Not going to cry. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, the other thing he does, uh, he continues to check in with Phalanx and the red dragon, I can't remember her name. Zethala. Zethala. He continues to check in with them just to make sure that nobody's bothering them. And that... Interesting point. Yeah. Um, if you continue checking in with them, uh, it takes a while to get their trust for them to say anything to you. Yeah. Um, probably well over a century. That's fine. Um, I got time. But... <laughs> Eventually, knowing that your group helped them put to rest something that had been eating away at them for 25 years, they eventually sort of welcome you a little more freely. Phalanx first, Zedthala is less trusting, but you do find that these two dragons i think kit will be the first to learn this among the obsidian collective that many dragons in this world are not just destructive beasts mm -hmm. they're people they're intelligent and you learn that more when you learn where they're living which is in a cavern out the side of mount gear Oh. Uh, you learn that they're very long-lived, intelligent creatures with a lot of feelings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you get to watch them have another egg and a cute little pink dragon. Yay! Yippee! And... Between you and Kenna and Nyx, and actually the help of Flameheart, mm -hmm. um, you managed to appeal to both Zedthala and Phalanx, and they grow to trust you guys, and eventually an accord is reached between these dragons and the Obsidian Collective that Zedthala, as this powerful dragon of fire, she is not at all destructive of the forests that you plant mm -hmm. and any harm she does cause phalanx is there to help she's prone to anger <laughs> it happens yeah but a thing that you're able to reach with them is almost a stewardship of the forests near their home and they become 
friends. Um, I, there will also be, uh, for the use of the Obsidian Collective and also for Kit and Kenna, um, there will be a ring of massive trees around the world. There will most likely be one in every major city over being slowly planted over the next century or so. Um, and before we go back to Marin and deal with that nonsense, uh, there, this is kind of a little bit of flavor thing, so I'm going to let you play with it, but Mm -hmm. as the industrial age comes on and Kit is still involved with the conservation people, um, he makes sure that they always have a way to contact him if they need help. Uh, and in, uh, as this age comes on, he sees obviously more and more people being treating the environment poorly because that just happens. Mm -hmm. And uh, after a few strange attacks and to uh, deforesters and people who destroy land and do things and clear cut and do things like that, uh, there are rumors of a, person in a dark cloak wielding a crystal trident Mm. that shows up at those and in a moment before um in a in just a flash of bright white light an ancient white dragon appears and destroys uh whoever is clear-cutting the forest and then the next time anybody happens across that place it's grown back as if nothing had ever happened mm-hmm. so obviously someone survived but there are rumors <laughs> and so i would like to think that anybody who is going to destroy a swath of land mm-hmm. maybe doesn't believe it's going to happen but it could Mm-hmm. I will also mention that the crystal trident kind of looks like glass mm-hmm. and uh, there is driftwood spiraling up the stave part of it all the way from the bottom. I have a feeling Nyx and Squall are going to get along very, very well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, and then the final piece. Oh, God. The last piece. Uh, how was Sylphie interred? Was Sylphie buried or was Sylphie cremated? Uh, okay, good question. Oh, shit. I'm um, hoping cremated, but it doesn't matter. So, let me start with Ziegler, actually. Okay. Uh, Ziegler being a Goliath, shorter lifespan than Sylphie by quite a bit. Um, after he passes away, he has a burial at sea, mm-hmm. uh, as that's just his thing. And the Phelan caravan give his burial much a similar treatment as Sylphie's. And Sylphie is left with a silver memorial ring. After he passes away, as a half-elf, she is just not that long out of her prime. She has a lot of life left. 
Ziegler was also a little bit older than her, so mm. she she spends a little time away from the Phalon caravan and away from the ships just because she needs to get an idea of what she's doing before she can go back to everything that reminds her of him. They never married, they never had kids, but they were partners in everything. And their arguments were legendary. But after she loses him, she's a little lost. And she spends a good chunk of time with Marin. Um, and spends some time with her nieces, uh, niece and nephew. And eventually she goes wandering. She happens across Kit and Kit would probably be like, oh, what the fuck are you doing here? Kind of thing. <laughs> um, but uh, she eventually wanders to uh, Taldanos City, hmm. the closest point she can get to Drostana. And she spends a year there. After that, she goes back to mostly her normal activities, but there's definitely a spark missing from her for a while until she finds a new partner, someone that she doesn't have the same relationship with, but someone who looks after her, mm -hmm. someone just as fucking useless as Ziegler. And it's never clear how deep their relationship is, but she's happy with her. Mm -hmm. And that's who she spends the rest of her life with this uh let's say this older elven moon elven woman mm. because she'd be pretty as fuck and <laughs> sophie is all for that mm -hmm. and bi as fuck yes um <laughs> but of course this partner being a moon elf outlives sylphie um when sylphie passes away shortly before Marin, um there isn't really much warning that it was coming because Sylphie just did her thing to the end of her days. Um, but this, this partner, let's call her hmm, let's call her Zia. She brings Sylphie home. And she, of course, contacts everybody. Marin is the first one she lets know. And Sylphie is given a similar send-off to her first. Because that's weird, and why not? Um, but she is cremated, almost symbolically, of the first time she died. And... A couple people crack a couple jokes like this time she's not coming back. <laughs> and, I imagine Kit would probably will be one of those people. Yeah. <laughs> and um, like the first time, lanterns, sky lanterns, are released from Ziegler's ship in her honor. Oh. And her ashes are left to Marin. Okay. I think Marin would hold on to them. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And wherever Marin goes, Sylphie goes. Okay. Um, 
I will then, all right, this is going to be fun. Where did, where did Marin live? Uh, Constanos, most of the time. Uh, she and Silas had a cabin outside of Seagrafir, which Silas loved. Where was, and... where was Marin's happiest place? Oh, no. <laughs> um, I mean, wherever Silas and Sylvia were, I guess, so. I don't, I don't think it was a place. No, it wasn't. Okay. Yeah. Well, then get ready to change your map a little bit. Oh, no. <sighs> On the day that Marin is cremated, her ashes come up missing. Uh, she, and not, not long after, um, a figure strides into the center of the Obsidia Ward in Constanos and using erupting earth and mold earth, he destroys the center of the Obsidia Ward, wherever there's a giant opening. Okay. He destroys it and tears all the bricks out of the ground. Uh, and he, using stone shape, creates a um, a very thick uh, stone vault. Something not huge, but like a small stone vault where he places Marin's ashes, Sylphie's ashes, Silas's ashes and the ring from um, what's his nuts? I can't remember his name already. Ziegler and Ziegler's ring. Um, he places. He'll also place uh, Sylphie's Tall Donost ring in there as well. He will seal the vault, and then over top of it, he will uh, as many as it takes. He will cast a larger-than-life statue out of the stone. Um, be... So the statue has... I'll do this first. The statue has... Um... No, hold on. <laughs> behind, behind the vault... Actually, using... <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to like put it all in my head. I, it's, it's a lot. So okay. using mold earth, he will actually take the vault that he created and he's going to sink it into the ground. And on top of it, he will plant two seeds and cast plant growth on top of them. As the tree is growing uh, in front of them, he will, don't do it, <laughs> he, will, he will cast a statue, a larger than life statue into being of a perfect likeness of Marin and Sylphie standing next to each other with their arms linked. Um, and a lute sitting on the ground between oh, no. them. <laughs> and the statue is extremely lifelike down to, you can see the strings on the lute, you can see the delicate apple blossom design across its surface. And you can even, if you look close enough, you can see the triangle on Marin's skin where Flameheart went. And the tree will grow up behind it and 
wrap around the base of the pedestal. And as the tree grows up, um, one side, both sides burst into bloom at the same time. And one side is white apples and the other side is red. <laughs> Dude. And on, there's an inscription on, oh, the, God. on the statue <laughs> that says, uh, Marin Veneer and Sylphie Hartstead. It says, twin hearts of flame, never to be surpassed, heroes of an age, laid to rest together at last. <sighs> My heart is pounding. <laughs> Remind me next time I see you to give you like the biggest <laughs> hug ever. Oh my God. Um, and then he will disappear. Uh, I will say as one last thing, um, it takes him a couple years, but he eventually finds his way back to the visiting pool in Haven. And he uh, lets Marin know where he put them. And that they're all together. She's very happy about that. <laughs> <sighs> okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. This entire campaign, <laughs> I was like, Ben's going to sucker punch me at the end. <laughs> I managed to not actually cry the whole time. <laughs> <sighs> Fuck you. <laughs> uh, and that is Kit goes on to torment people. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh. There's one last piece to the statue oh, God. That, that he never told anybody while the statue was being finished. He, while the stone was still shaping, he reached up and he took Senna's black gold lockpick and he placed it oh. in Sylphie's heart and sealed it. Sorry, I forgot about that. But nobody saw it. Nobody saw it. Okay. Um, I would say if he can, since it's stone shape, if he can make it so that it's in, it's lead lined where it's at. Yeah. So nobody no, can no, detect. Cool, man. Sure. Nobody can detect magic. It'll be there forever. Oh, God. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I wanted to go last. Yep, yep, yep. I think that is quite the end of the sleeper campaign. 
I know this campaign was only one year, but this was the culmination of seven years of work for me. And you guys saw all of the most important things I've ever made and all the stuff I was so proud of that nobody else ever got to see. And you made fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> Of course. This you is made true. fun of all my shit. You made fun of Vague. You made fun of the, all the bear shit. You made fun uh. of everything. But you guys also really respected all of it. It means so much to me. God damn it, I'm a mess. Um, <laughs> oh, God. I, um, this is the best, literally, I'm not saying it just because I'm emotional. This is the best campaign I've ever played in, as player or DM. Same. Mm-hmm. And I am Same. so proud of you guys. <laughs> I have to get that tattoo. I have to get <laughs> The next time we're live on stream, I'll have kids. I'm on the waiting list for mine, but <laughs> I'll gonna, show it up. I gotta set up mine, but uh, thanks for being a great DM. Yeah. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> this was. I mean, this, this was, was a lot of work for you. Yeah, yeah. definitely. There are uh, there are definitely a couple times when I was like, God damn it, this is so so many late nights but all of the even like the lore work that i did that you guys have only seen little bits of and even stuff that i never really got to use like it all contributed because of the effects you guys have on the world and there are even like little stories out there that i got to enjoy for myself because of stuff you guys did and now there is a whole foundation for at lauren in 300 years and we get to have a new player that we all love (laughs) yeah and we get to have new characters that we're all really excited about and have so many secrets and playlists and (laughs) and we even get to see some old characters again maybe if we don't see Kit in this next campaign, <laughs> I'm gonna riot. <laughs> the whole next campaign, we're gonna be like, who's on the Obsidian Collective? <laughs> yeah! yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm telling her. laughs> but, oh man, it did not feel real that it was actually ending until you started that fucking description. Sorry. That's okay. I knew it was coming. Wasn't ready, but I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> um, I think, I think that's it. So, uh, allow me to pull myself together here just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I will retire kid's book. I'm, oh God, my 
Marin dice it. Yeah, it kids dice are gonna be retired as well. Yep. It was a good set. The last one that rolled was a fifteen. So oh, I actually I rolled. I rolled while you were doing the epilogue to see if Kit was going to do the the dragon thing, and oh. he rolled high. So I was like, oh yeah, yeah, we're definitely doing. That. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I've still got Jax's dice in here. Oh dang! Yeah, uh, I've got Ember's uh, dice. I ordered Magda's dice, but yeah, Ember's I, got uh, got red with gold flecks in them. Ooh. Oh yeah, that's right. You shared a picture of them. Mm-hmm. I think I'm gonna stick with tradition and stay with my storytellers. There you go. Because. They've been with me for seven years. Yeah. Hey, I may even get a tattoo of them someday. Yeah. They're pretty special. Um. But uh, so, <laughs> with all of that said, and my heart being ripped out of my chest, <laughs> uh. We are preparing for campaign two. We're going to have a little bit of a break before it happens. Um, I think originally I only planned for three weeks, but now it's going to be a month because we managed to go over again and get everything done in one session. So uh, this uh, this session, like everyone before it, will be posted on uh, Wednesday on YouTube and Spotify and a couple other places. Um, you can find us on Twitter at, at Lauren ADV Co. Uh, and you can check out all our links there and links to each of us as well. Uh, we do have, uh, just in time for the end of this campaign and the start of the next, we do finally have a little bit of technically merch. Yeah. Uh, it is through Redbubble. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. It's through Redbubble because uh, it's easy. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but uh, you can look for me on Red uh, Redbubble. It's going to be a shop just under Taylor Wallace. And you can find a couple uh, logo designs there and uh, a little stupid cheap design that I made. <laughs> that's uh, really that's, cute. Just a little cartoon sheet that says fuck. Um, <laughs> Corey, I got in uh, the logo sticker today uh, and I gave it to Corey and it's on his computer right now. So That's um, awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I'll have everything including my t-shirt for the first campaign. Uh, first episode of the next campaign. Um, if any of y'all want, want it tie-dyed, I will tie-dye it. I have like a whole bunch oh, yeah. of colors now. I don't remember if I ordered a white one. Um, I'll I'll figure it out. But yeah. Anyway, we got those. Uh, so those of you who have stuck with us through all of this, please consider supporting. Cause uh, beyond the manufacturing fees of Redbubble, of course, uh, that will go into our Zoom fund uh, for our unlimited uh, meeting time. And uh, anything that goes beyond that. Uh, we will, of course, talk about what to do with it, but uh, it'll go to us and making sure that we can keep doing this. And if we get bigger, it'll go into expanding stuff. 
Because you never know. It could happen. Maybe. Maybe. We'll be critical. Um, we'll surpass critical role. Jesus. I would never <laughs> deign no. to even imagine oh my God. that. I can't yes. um, even no. imagine. <laughs> I don't want to surpass. I them. don't either. Like that um, seems like tiring. But but uh, I do also realize that the end of this campaign has come in tandem with the end of season. Yeah. A critical role so the few people who do watch this regularly it might feel a little fucking emotional um, <laughs> yeah i know it is for us yes yeah. oh my god i am getting very severe emotional like whiplash. whiplash yeah <laughs> um but yes uh so we will not be streaming uh for the next four weeks uh we will be back on july 10th uh, we're taking a, a good break to not only set up our new stuff for C2, but also bring in our new player mm -hmm. and get our characters all set up. I'm currently working on art and we're working on intros. Uh, working on getting our accents down. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, yes. I, I was trying to do that the other day, and I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm Every time I'm in my car, I'm, like, talking to myself in a weird accent. Yeah. I well, I work from home Irish. by myself, so I'm just sitting oh, that works. like, mm. I mean, so do I, but. I'm doing my Witcher impression, like, all oh, day. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. You're just going to walk around and go, hmm, mm, all the time. Fuck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I love it. That's kind um, of, yeah, kind of what I'm going to do. <laughs> Yep, yeah. pretty much. Uh, but anyway, uh, like I said, find us on Twitter at LearnADVCo and uh, find us, uh, find a bunch of links below here on Twitch and links will be on YouTube as well. Astrid. Hi, everyone. Oh, Jesus. Hi. When I'm not ugly crying on the internet, <laughs> you can find me basically everywhere at Astrid K. Writes or on my website, AstridKnight.com. I'm writing a book. It's kind of it's about D and D. It's pretty cool. Um, I'm also part of a anthology series with Skullgate Media called Tales from the Year Between, and for their volume three, uh, it's about pirates. Pirates are pretty neat, right? We had some pirates in this campaign. Pretty fucking dope. Uh, so you should check that out. Um, we are doing a Kickstarter right now. It was suspended for a copyright thing with one of the images. Uh, in the the promo video mm -hmm. or whatever. I saw that, yeah. Um, we got it fixed, so it's back up. Uh, consider donating because uh, you're helping get me paid and you're helping get, like, a bunch of cool shit mm -hmm. and stuff like that. It's pretty... Yeah. Who doesn't love cool shit? I think I and threw $100 at you guys. Holy well, shit! shit. <laughs> uh, I ordered the book, but... Yeah! Uh, uh, I ordered uh, the book day. plus the previous books. Oh, oh okay. Oh, okay. I and you guys are fully funded, so it's going to happen. Yes, you're way overfunded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're working on trying to get like uh, author portraits right now commissioned Ooh. for us. Um, so that's gonna be fun. Uh, I don't know what we're planning on doing after that, um, if we exceed that, but who knows? Like, you guys might get some cool stuff too, uh, or. I don't know. Maybe I get paid more. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, so yeah, donate and be a pal. Be a pal. 
Like, like. hey. Uh, when you're not ripping the heart. When, yeah, when I'm not when I'm not killing people emotionally. Um, yeah. <laughs> I am writing books. Uh, I'm. Yeah, I write books. Um, <laughs> so I'm working on a fantasy series, which is kind of D and D ish. Uh, you know, dragons, magic, stuff like that. Dragons. Um, and uh, yeah, I the fourth book in the series is going to come out at the end of July, and then uh, fifth book should be out by the end of the year. Uh, you can find me at blakearwolf.com, uh, and or Blake Arwolf anywhere on. The social medias. That's what they're called. Yep. Ye- I'm on the bird app. Yep. Bird app? Oh, Twitter. Twitter. Okay. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, I think, yeah, that's what I do, I guess. I don't really have anything else. So, Taylor, your turn. Hello. Hello. I'm your friendly local world ending DM. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, when I'm not spinning the ends of my favorite character's days, uh, <laughs> and emotionally murdering myself, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm an editor. I edit things. Yes. All my books. Yeah. Uh, my books. Yes, whenever. Those are finished soon, tomorrow. I'm taking a break um, from Perception Check right now because I gotta write this, this short know. story. And, uh... Uh, you can find me on Twitter at T-A-I-Y-L-O-R-W-A-L-L-A-C-E Taylor Wallace, make sure you spell it right. I missed it. We were singing pirates. But make sure you spell it wrong, you never find me. Um... I also run the AD, ADV Co. Twitter, so that's fun. Um, you can find me on sonderediting.com, where I will not charge you the death of your favorite player character in order to <laughs> edit your book. I might, but I might not. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I try to be a little more accessible, especially for newer writers, and... Uh, I'm freelance, so I don't pay other people to let me do my job. Um, yeah, that's me. Uh, I will also, for the next four weeks, be the long-suffering DM as I prepare campaign two. Um, I would like to say, now that we've reached the end of this campaign, uh, being that we are having a new player, uh, let me actually pull up his thing. Mm. Um, if you drop it right in the center, it should show. Yeah, do we want to do we want to introduce our next characters at all? Just like name. Um, yeah, I can give well, uh, basic details. Yeah, you you can find our next new player, uh, Zach uh, Zachary Gale, at Zachary G Author on Twitter. He's fairly new, so go look him up, support him. Yeah. Um, he actually, one of his, uh, I like one of his, his recent, or, well, not recent, but one of his original tweets was going to be joining a big D&D campaign soon, and he's got a maul over his shoulder. He's getting yeah. into character. He found um, it at a thrift, yeah. a, like, flea market, I think. He found... 
Holy shit. Yeah. He, he found, found that at a flea, flea market? market? Yeah. Oh my God. He it. That thing is like a giant stone hammer. It's fucking yeah. huge. Yeah. It's huge. Um, yeah. But Zach uh, is a longtime friend of you two. Still relatively new to me, but good friend. Very Thanks. sweet. Very nice. Best man uh, in my wedding. Best man in general. Among. I mean, um, yes. Thanks. You're welcome. I said, I said among. <laughs> I said among. No, it's fine. Um, anyway, uh, for the next campaign, uh, he will be playing a Minotaur barbarian named Fushruk, yes. who hails from Garrod Eldathos. He's gonna be a big old himbo. So if you're gonna, if you miss Bull, Fushruk should be good. There you go. Astro. I am going to be playing a uh, uh, Magda Renly. Her name is Magda Ren- Renly, and uh, she is a blood hunter, human blood hunter from Ooh. Amnoblin. Yeah. Uh, I am going to be playing Ember uh, from the forests of Garrod Eldathos, who is of mysterious origin and mysterious oh, class you dick <laughs> you dick so yep. uh nobody will know and um, i barely know yeah that's the that's the point i want it to be a surprise uh and then um hmm. i will say that ember is on a quest <laughs> so smacked like I don't know. Yeah, but... I yeah. I will. I guess I'll say if you enjoyed Marin and you also enjoyed Kit, you will probably enjoy Ember. Oh boy! Because Ember, because I'm playing Ember. Like obviously, I can't be completely serious all the time, but uh, <laughs> I did want to pepper a little Marin in there to see what happens. Oh boy! Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Oh dear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm yeah. very excited for this cast of characters. Did I say I was human? No, you said of mysterious origin and mysterious class. Oh, he is human. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we have two humans. Two, two humans. Shit. Yeah. Two he- two humans and a cow. Two humans yeah. and a cow. <laughs> We're gonna start a farm. Yep. <laughs> because all D all D and D campaigns end in entrepreneurship. Yep, of course. At least ours. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but yes, we'll be starting that on July 10th. Uh, currently, the plan is to stick to the original schedule, 5 p.m. I'm going to try, try not to do such long sessions. Yeah, we'll have to keep it a little shorter for Zach, but yeah. Yeah, because he's yeah. got things. Yeah. Um, we can probably do 5 to 9, 5 to 10 ish. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll see what happens. But uh, we're also not like at the end of this campaign. Yeah. Like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so don't have a that's, million things to fit yeah and... that's kind of why ours started going on yeah. um but uh i did also want to throw in uh, i already told you guys but i wanted to add it on here that uh the month of yond, yond. lasted <gasps> three and a half months in real life mm-hmm. whereas 12 months in game spanned about the same amount of time. I thought, I, okay, yeah. Four and a half months. Yeah. 
Because I think we've been yeah. playing for like a year and two months now. Yeah. yeah. Is, uh... Can I just say, um, not to get mushy again. Oh no. oh, no. But, like, I didn't really... When I started okay. this, Got but like asked me to play, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, emotional support. It's right here. When Blake asked me to start playing this, it was, I don't know how many people know this, but it was like literally as soon as things started shutting down. Because oh, of yeah. COVID. It was that week. Yeah. Because the first day we played was the day after my birthday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you texted me and we're just like do you want to play D, D while we're in lockdown and i was like fucking yes of course because i'm gonna go insane yeah. <laughs> if i don't play D, D while this is going on and so this is yeah i made a bard character just so that i could be like this is gonna be my fuck off campaign where i just fuck people <laughs> and get money and that's it and like <laughs> I create an angsty backstory but like whatever and then it became like this big. It became the core of the campaign. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it just—I don't know. It just became such a great story, mm -hmm. and like, yeah. I um, mean, I didn't. And see, that's funny that you say that because you made like a fuck off character, and then we ended up with like you know Marin <laughs> and all this stuff that she changed. Yeah. And then I made Jax with all this like hoping to go on this grand adventure and all this background and then i ended up with <laughs> fuck off character kit i don't think kit was a fuck off no I mean, he, he wasn't was but, goof, but yeah, yeah but he still was like ridiculous oh yeah i again not to be emotional i'm gonna miss kit yeah so much i'm gonna miss you, and... you'll see him again yeah yeah yeah, but it won't be me being Kit. I miss being Kit already. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go back and, like, watch how you play him to try to get his mannerisms down and know when to cross the arms, and <laughs> I'll do it, though. Yeah. Um, All the weird side glances that are going on, and I'm just like... <sighs> yeah, I'll learn. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll, we'll see if and when he pops up. Um... So, I go into all of my campaigns with expectations based on the people. And at the time, I was playing the Runaway campaign, which was my main campaign. And then when you guys came in, I was like, oh, cool, you guys will get to experience, like, the backlash of what happens in their campaign. Because they were canon at the time. Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. But as you guys started getting more into Sylphie's story and it started to get more emotional, I definitely was like, oh, I wonder if these can both be canon, um, which they were. Um, but I think it wasn't until Sylphie really leaned into her revenge story. It wasn't until then that I really looked at it and said, oh, this could be something good. Yeah. Because, mm -hmm. um, like, it was already fun. But I didn't know... Obviously, I didn't know you as well then, Ash. And I was still kind of learning how Ben is as a player. And so I wasn't sure Chaos. how serious it could get. Yeah. Um, 
But as it started to get more serious and Sylvie had her first moment of like, I don't feel better. I was like, oh shit, here we go. And I leaned hard into that. And honestly, because this is something that I've beaten myself up about the entire campaign since it happened. But Sylvie's death the disintegration that I fucked up that wasn't supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. It is probably the single best thing that happened to this campaign. It's so true. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, because not only did it allow for you to launch into Marin, who I guess technically I designed her and I've never had a player take over an NPC so seamlessly. Um, But you, like, really leaned into her, and you actually fell in love with Silas. I did. Which, which I thought was so fucking cool, because when I made him, I was already in love with him. And I was like, yeah. I can play Marin no problem, but I handed her to you, and I'm like, I really you, hope you like him. You can totally tell, like, in the first few episodes that I'm playing Marin that I don't trust him at all. Like, that's half the reason that, like, she was sneaking. I mean, there were character choices that I was making with why she would lie and everything like that. But it was also because I'm like, I don't know what he's about. I don't know. And then by, like, three or four episodes in, I'm like, oh, my God, this guy is actually very sweet and and everything. And so, Yeah. yeah. But I've been, since I've been writing the notes down in, like, a word processor... I've gotten to watch kind of the change between Marin and Silas again, and I can mm. guarantee you I'll be listening back through this fucking campaign over the next month. Um, but it's funny that your lack of trust in him worked for Marin. Yeah. Because she, even she, not that she didn't trust him, but she wasn't going to tell him everything. It really fed into her whole, like... I can't tell you everything and mm-hmm. um, I can't I can't get closer to you now that I know that this this thing about me the the whole walker thing definitely thrived yeah. off of that mm-hmm. yes but yeah I think as Silas started to say I have a couple quotes from him written down but as he started to say things like you know I'm here because of you and there was one oh god what did he say i just wrote it down recently um (laughs) i grab it uh he there was a moment where you guys had a fight prior to the whole delthair thing prior to the untethering where you guys got into a proper like smallish fight and were like frustrated with each other but you came out the other end of it agreeing that the anger wasn't at each other and your goals were aligned and silas said to you there are moments when i wonder if following you was a mistake but then i remember i love you and it's all worth the trouble Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that was i mean (laughs) sylphie sylphie died in what nothing he's just sitting there going like jesus christ (laughs) <laughs> no, it's fine. I actually um, like it. Sylphie died in Cry Havoc, episode 12. 
and Kit got his reminder of his hubris in episode 13. I think it was around a funeral and a wedding that Mm -hmm. you started to fall in love with Silas a few episodes later. And then I think it was the the comeback from Dulthair that sort of cemented it. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I nearly wore Silas's vest for this last thing because no. I, I was thinking about it and I'm like, well, we've got Marin, we've got Kit. And if I had to pick anybody to be in the crew as I refer to you guys, it would be Silas. Um, I mean, he's the... I, I've seen the term go around uh, the DMPC, where... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, where it's some, just like... Some people are really against them, but I feel like DMPCs are... If you use them correctly... And don't railroad people with yeah. them. They're actually really fun because one of the things that I've always been a big proponent of is the DM is a player too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the reasons I'm an improv DM is because I like not know, knowing what's going to happen either. I just fly along by the seat of my pants with you guys and every decision you make opens up a new door and all those times that I've had something planned ahead of time has been entirely accidental or was something that I saw like coming from 40 miles away. Yeah. 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 Um, like Ted, total fucking accident. <laughs> he didn't, he did not, truly and honestly, he did not become fearing until like, until I think Bite the Sun. Which was episode 25. Mm, okay. Oh, yeah. that was a while back. Shit. Yeah, I'm working on rewriting that one right now. Um, so just was, to get all the notes out. He was just weird goose for a while. He yeah. was just weird goose until he threw up the Ordenhide. Yeah. yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, well. But there were, there were a lot of times during this campaign that I had gods and titans get involved. And I'm like, is this too much? And oh. I, I don't know. I think with what you guys got into, their involvement was mm-hmm. now yeah. looking back I, was justified. I honestly think that Kit and Marin had more of an effect on the gods than the gods did on us. I agree. Like, yeah. my God, Senna is like, oh no, just one of my favorite characters yeah. in this whole thing. I just. Really? Yes, I love her so much. She's so oh, complicated. No. She had so... such an interesting character arc. Mm-hmm. Like going from because we know her backstory. Like going from <laughs> no, you know, no, Cardigan Taylor, no, good mom to to angry mom to you know the goddess of death and rot to like becoming a shell of herself and then somehow growing out of her selfishness and turning yeah. into someone who helped us save the world. Like. And then to repay her, we gave her back everything she lost. And I think it just goes so well into, like, we all, all of us, like, even Kit, 
had this theme of uh, anger and revenge and mm -hmm. like eventually learning that healing and kindness and growth and everything was the actual answer for all of that not yeah. falling into anger and falling into despair and stuff like that and i think senna is a good beacon yeah. of that yeah senna is Ooh. what what that's just interesting thought that oh. senna could become the new beacon of like I don't know, healing, new beginnings, stuff like uh, that. I like yeah. that. Senna is by, or was, I guess now, um, by no uncertain term, the heart of the world of Atlaren as a D&D &D world. Yeah. My entire world began with the idea of, in my first campaign, of there being these powerful artifacts that a deranged demigod was trying to get a hold of for no one knew what until later. She was the first big bad. She was the first thing to kill a player character. She was the first one to cause major world-changing events. She caused the calamity in conjunction with Kenna. And the calamity itself and even though it happened very early in my like dm career um the calamity was my sort of chance after my first very long-running campaign to enact my love of redeemable villains and breaking her and explaining who she used to be before her first breaking was sort of how I created the entire Balin pantheon. And it's how Amnobolin as a continent was created uh, on, on its map, like mechanically, not lore-wise. Everything about her led to the Monomarig, to the Dolmarig, to... Uh, the differences of cultures to the the way Irakel is or was at the beginning of this campaign. Mm -hmm. It led to everything about Kenna as she is now. Mm -hmm. And I really also liked the she and Kenna and Senna were both like cool with each other by the end of it yeah um that that's another thing um i think i've mentioned it a few times but you guys know that kenna was my first ever D, &D yeah. character mm -hmm. i played a human druid in a campaign that only lasted a few weeks and then i got hooked on being a dm myself and kenna and my friend's first character became the heart of keladir city in harris um, but Senna, it's really hard to quantify how much she means to me because she's literally at the core of everything I have made. Yeah. The world would not be as it is if not for the goddess of mystery and knowledge who became the 
broken goddess of rot and the gray lady. She is the heart of the original Dire campaign. She was the heart of the, uh, not the Garad campaign, but they did run into her. <laughs> that's how, uh, that's how she got, uh, got involved with Mavari and Vosner and Ellen Estelle. And in the Phalon campaign, she got the Fjord hide. So you can thank fucking yeah. Jalen who played D for that one. I'm going to have to meet her at some point because I don't like, it. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, she's, she's cool. But she's also the person who, as a character, gave Senna the core and mm. kind of accidentally led to the events of the Runaway campaign. Uh, or not the Runaway, uh, the Sleep campaign, uh, but the yeah. Runaway too. Um, and that same crew as the Runaway campaign set in motion a lot of the dominoes that went over to you guys and caused... The whole race for the staves yeah but i don't know i'm, I'm kind of rambling about her but there's <laughs> so much about senna that i've been holding on to for seven years and for seven years i've been her only friend no because everybody thought she was evil and horrible and you guys finally brought it out to light that she's not she's a villain but not because she wants to be evil and as soon as someone was willing to take a second and level with her and try to talk to her about what she's doing and the consequences she revealed there's a reason why yeah. she's known as next to Elen the gentlest and most merciful goddess she is the wife to the god of justice there's a reason she's his partner and it's always been inferred in the balin pantheon that um talon before he was the god of revenge as the god of justice he always looked at truth and knowledge to the gateway uh, to be the gateway of justice and that was what Senna was but she was also the goddess of mystery yeah and as the gray lady this ghost she still exemplified that um being mysterious to everybody but seemingly knowing everything and it was what made her so scary hmm. to a lot of my players, especially my other crew who did several of my campaigns. They always were afraid of her and mistrusted her. And even when they made deals with her, when they got Luca back by giving her the Fjordhide, they never wanted to believe she was good yeah. until you guys came in. And I started sharing the story with them. And between that and a few run-ins with her in the Runaway campaign, they started to realize that all this time, she's been someone worth saving. I think Marin was like, and I'm sure you did this like totally unintentionally originally, but like, Marin was like the perfect person for her to 
come in contact with mm-hmm. because of uh, <laughs> her whole history and everything like that. I think that's like why Marin was so sympathetic with her eventually. Well, it was it was actually it wasn't entirely unintentional. Well, um, yeah, I realized very early on. I think the moment you started playing Marin, that she echoed Senna beautifully. Mm-hmm. and even down to the being killed and returning as sort of a ghost of her former self and losing people um and this i don't think i ever really got to touch on it with her but she and talon have a very similar uh where you go i go yeah thing mm-hmm. to Marin and uh sylphie that was broken because when the, the uh because Volgar Heidelin. When Silas was like at the or end there, Ilarka. when when we were in a uh, Baphomel temple, and he was like, "Oh, I, I can see similarities between us." I was like, "Yeah, me too." Like yeah. in the back of my head, I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I can see it. I can see it." Yeah, but... that was why when Marin spoke to her and tried to make her understand, like the the greater issues and the problems she could cause and she mentioned um that specifically sylphie wouldn't want her to destroy things because of what happened that was why i never asked you for a persuasion check i was wondering about that (laughs) because she knew yeah um i i mean i have you guys kind of know this i have my own policy that if the players can convince me yeah then i'm pretty sure you can unless there's something else standing the way that you can convince the npc um and i don't think there is there have been a few special occasions but that was one of the ones where I believed Marin as just as a person, really. I was just like, this is too real. <laughs> um, yeah. But I don't know. There's so many. I'm, I'm going to stop rambling about Senna, but <laughs> she's just, I can't tell you how much she means to me. And how much it means to me that you guys not only gave her a chance, but that you showed her a love that no one else has. And that you, insofar as much as you could, gave her back what was taken from her. Yeah. Ilarka has been this horrible, just... No one has ever known about him until this campaign. He's just been this phantom in the back of my head. Like, this is the reason for why everything is the way it is. Him and Senna are the the core of everything. And I finally got to tell everybody, like, this is how it happened. And now this is how it's been, not repaired, but healed. Um, And... I don't know your your character journeys are just really 
a lot more significant than any that I've gotten to DM before. And the NPCs that you guys have played with, too, like... Even even Bull, who didn't really change that much, he he had his own little little thing of just I don't know. I think if there's ever a word to describe Bull, it's going to be loyalty. Um, so fitting that he ended up as a dog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I should say um, that Bull will never end up having his own kids, but. Um, it's people like him who will carry Vesper or not Vesper, Echo, Echo. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 501 I don't know if you guys you guys will ever get to meet any members of the Obsidian Collective maybe yeah. can uh, but better <laughs> right? The, the person that is holding Echo in 501 is definitely somebody that the original collective would approve of okay um yeah but uh in even for kit i ben you mentioned this kind of offhandedly once Mm -hmm. but it really does sort of encompass kit's journey and i think the episode hubris definitely definitely gets into it but kit is a really frustratingly interesting character mm-hmm. <laughs> like this entire Why is fucking that? campaign he's just been so frustrating <laughs> and it, partly it's because it's you yeah yeah <laughs> you're just messing with me but well th- see here's the thing is like i am i have never in this entire campaign messed with you intentionally I have never pre Are you no kidding? no okay no I take that back I have never premeditated messing with you oh, okay all right so all, yeah okay but... I've messed with you a little bit on purpose but I've never premeditated anything everything that Kit has done has been on the fly and there have been notes that have been going into my character sheet and into my book as the story goes along that because like when we first met Kit Kit was just like this like arrogant yeah asshole attitude yeah Yeah. and he as we've gone along like when when i was still a cleric when sylphie died uh actually no it was before that it was something before sylphie and i wrote down a note to myself and i was like we'll always have a healing spell handy like or now because of this event or something else happened and i'm like kid is probably an arsonist now because he really enjoyed that um or when sylphie died it was will always have like certain things so kit has been purposefully evolving as it's been going and it's interesting that he ended up with nyx because when he became a druid he immediately started honing in on ice spells Mm -hmm. yeah yeah like and then he i thought i'd end up with the ordenhide and i was like oh well i can find a radiant fire something or another right and then i ended up with nyx and i was like oh look yeah. all these ice spells i love <laughs> like, <laughs> so oh, I, there are so many happy accidents like that mm-hmm. in this campaign yeah and nines everywhere jesus yeah yeah and yeah i think um i always take that oh okay 
And even some of the things that I wrote down to begin with that were his flaws are gone now. Yeah. And there was even a couple episodes where I turned him from chaotic neutral into when he got the Gaitha hide. Yeah. After Sylphie died, I turned him to chaotic evil. That was very concerning. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, um, (laughs) in... In Determination slash Hubris, which was episode 13, fittingly, um, I think that was, I I don't know if you've mentioned it before, but I think that was the time when Kit realized, like, how dire some of his actions can be. Yeah. And Arden, I think, visibly affected Kit. Well, that, that was the thing that happened is I was like, Sylphie died. I went chaotic evil on purpose. And then I, we got the Gaitha hide immediately. And I was like, that's it. I've got the power. I can do it. And <laughs> like, and then, and then I, uh, and then your gash failed. And then my gash failed. And I accidentally summoned Algar Heidelin, uh and then Hurricane. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, and also thinking, Kit thinking, that was the other, I actually really like that little arc of episodes because... I do too. Kit, There's two, t- two episodes. Kit, when Kit <laughs> ran off, he was very... The reason he left from the ship is because the hurricane was coming for the ship. He had every intention of letting himself die because mm-hmm. he knew that this is what happens. Like, when shit goes wrong and he knew it was his fault and then he tried to outrun senna he thought senna was going to kill him and that the hurricane wasn't going to get far enough away and then she saved him for some Mm -hmm. reason and it was selfish i figured it was selfish but i think it's also one of those things where like that was before we had um before she had untethered marin and so that was one of the early things where Kit was like, maybe even if she did it for selfish reasons, there could be something else going on. Well, yes. Even though it was selfish, like what would have stopped her from letting you die and then just take it? Right. Right. Exactly. That's something that I've been seeding through Senna's entire post-Calamity life Mm -hmm. that other players have never picked up on. Well, yeah, that was kind of like, I was thinking that too, is like, we had the Orden hide. Like when we eventually got the Orden hide, I was like, she could just fucking show up and take it. I don't have yep. to do anything. Yeah. But yeah. She could have stepped in and even though she was not the most powerful, she She's very still... much had the ability yeah. with yeah. two staves on her side to just take it from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but she didn't because she doesn't really want to hurt anybody. Yeah. She does not. Yeah, it was not. does not does not. Yeah, yeah. I but yeah that that little arc right there was like one of my yeah. favorites. And then after that, obviously, like Kit has. I, think, I really I think... like his like journey from like I'm just causing chaos because I'm a little chaos goblin and mm-hmm. everything to like. I know you don't you didn't like it like while we were doing it but one of my favorite kit moments was that discussion we had before resurrecting Ben with Corsair. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like that <laughs> legitimate so it's really hard for me to separate you from Marin. 
Yeah. Like, I imagine it's hard to separate Kit from me because we're very similar as well. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it was one of those things where I was like, is Ash mad at me? No. I was like, I was a character. We like got done and I was like, I don't know if I should be worried. Like, (laughs) but it was, uh, I realized later, but it was, it's hard for me to separate you from Marin. So, yeah. Uh, but oh, yeah, because I would see, I would say just as much as Kit is like a piece of me, Marin is obviously a piece of you. Oh, yeah. So oh, it's yeah. hard to play someone you have nothing in common with. Right. Yeah. Like even with Sylphie, who I have considerably less in common with, like there were parts of her that were definitely. Oh, yeah, me. definitely. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that the, going back to talking about you, you asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry. Like, <laughs> it's okay. Um, I love that because it was really this moment of like, holy shit, Kit actually, you know, is he's going from someone who's just like, let's fuck up all these people who did something bad to me mm-hmm. to this. This guy did something bad to me, but it's also because he's been hurt. Mm-hmm. And if I hurt him, it's not going to help anything. And that, I think, was one of the moments where Marin was like, Oh fuck, he's right. He's like, and so, yeah. Like, that, God, yeah. that is just the theme of the whole damn. Th- I know we've already said this, yeah. but that's just the theme of the whole damn mm-hmm. campaign. Yeah, is revenge doesn't feel better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, the, uh, we got to by the time we got to like level nine, ten, eleven, like revenge was easy. Right. And yeah. we could revenge anything we wanted to, but mm-hmm. then it. You know, you start to realize that you're like, oh, no. Yeah, still not like, feeling better. It's not feeling better. Yeah. And on top of that, like, the people that we kill aren't just the people that we kill. Like, that's not the only person who gets right. affected. So yep. even though Vinrith Corsair was a raging asshole, <laughs> like, bringing him back and removing his curse was, like, a way of... I don't know. Like, you're right. It was a way of Kit being like, oh, this is maybe forgiveness and second chances are a little bit better than holding on to it forever. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Kit would not have done that if he if someone else hadn't shown a reason. Like, like, like Sil- Truman? No, or- Sylphie. Oh, Sylphie. The yeah. way Sylphie reacted is the only reason Kit even thought twice about it. Oh, her being like, it's really fucked up that you're just going to let your brother die. Yeah. yeah. Like, I get it, but it's real fucked up. Yeah. That yeah. was... Um, Kit would not have regenerated him if Sylphie hadn't done that. And on top of that, it was also interesting to see like the parallel between... Sylphie and Truman, because Sylphie was very much that person at one point where she's looking down on Redner and she's like, well, I gotta do what I gotta do. Yeah. Guess you're gonna die. Like, Mm kind of thing. But it was, it was, was, yeah. So to watch her flip and then to, I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It just made sense to do it. So, and I knew Marin was gonna fucking hate it. Yep. Absolutely (laughs) knew it. Yeah. Well, there's so. Let me let in let you into a little bit of something that I did plan. Um, mm-hmm. in my lack of planning. Oh. <laughs> uh, 
the I knew kind of early on that the theme, at least for Sylphie, uh, was going to be revenge does not feel better. Yeah, that was mine too. Yeah, like, um, going into it with Sylphie, but but like super early on, I was like, okay, this sounds like a long game story that I might be able to mess with, and so it was very early on. I think in. Uh, just before you guys got to Olzak, that I decided I'm going to see how far that revenge doesn't feel better is going to go. Mm-hmm. And then I accidentally killed Sylphie. Um, Oops. But Alistair, from around episode 11, after you guys burned Altera Manor and visited Moore's Rest, I decided like right before cry havoc the game where she died i decided right before that that he had become lich and the reason i did it was because i wanted him to stick around so i could play um and also i had begun to develop who he was as a person prior to sylphie and marin and actually, hey, now that we've finished the campaign, I can tell you a little bit about yeah. that. We'll just turn um, this into a talk, talks Lauren. Talk, talk, talk Lauren Adventuring Company. Uh, sure. <laughs> um, Chat Lauren. Chat Lauren. Chat Lauren. Yeah. Make that better. Yes. Oh, God. Um, yeah, sure. Let's just go five more hours. Let's do it. Um, oh, please, no. Uh, Alistair Altera was the youngest of several children, and oh, he was born in. Real into it. Okay. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not gonna go in crazy detail, but I just I'm trying to explain to you why he ended up the way he is. Um, youngest of several children in an extremely abusive household. Uh, his dad was a Silas Moore the Second level tyrant. Ooh. Um, That's good. And Alistair, being the youngest tended to also kind of being the runt uh ended up being the one who took the most abuse for the longest because he was smallest for the longest um and uh his his only real friends you could say were his sisters uh and eventually after their dad got himself killed by some arbiter um he started he started using what he did know in his sort of self-defense, uh, his, his charm, really, uh, his ability to talk his way out of a problem, um, and started using that to get in good with some powerful people. And along his way, he met Wedna. Uh, he and Wedna were never really in love. In fact, Alistair in... Yeah. All forms, except his marriage, is essentially gay. Mm-hmm. Um, he married her because in Moore's Rest, you can be killed for being gay. Uh, and uh, he never had blood children with her because gross. Uh, but she that was, was okay with Webna because she didn't really like men either. Yeah. Uh, they stuck together, but... They never really liked each other that much. They worked well together. And eventually they realized that the easiest thing to capitalize upon 
uh, for free labor is not slaves, but children. Mm. You have to feed them less. Um, it was Wedna's idea. Um, I think Wedna and maybe Cynthia and Alarka, Algar, <laughs> those four are the only truly evil characters in my entire campaign. Yeah. Because uh, Wedna was very controlling and Alistair was just trying to make it by. He didn't necessarily like what her plan was, but he went along with it because it was profitable. And Marin and Sylphie were not the first kids that they took in. Um, they, or well, Redner and Flynn were not the first they took in, rather. Um, there were a couple more before them, but they didn't make it very far, mostly because those kids got into trouble um, of Wetna's making. Uh, but Flynn and Redner were the next two, and then Sylphie and Marin. And Flynn and Redner was just, they were just boys when right. they started out. Sylphie and Marin would remember them as not necessarily brothers, but just other kids when they were younger. And they were shaped into monsters more by Wedna than Alistair, but Alistair never did anything to stop it. Mm-hmm. And. Alistair, in his partially fear of just the world, because he knew he always had a target on his back as he gained more and more powerful allies who could turn on him at any point, he grew very controlling of the kids as well, and very uh, almost agoraphobic. Um and it wasn't until Marin stood up against him uh, that he finally became scared of his own kids. And it was not because he was mad at Marin necessarily. It was because he was scared of her that he told Redner and Flynn to kill her. And Alistair at first didn't feel bad about that. He saw it as necessary, as he saw many of the horrible things he did. And when Sylphie took off and ran away, that was probably the first time he actually felt bad. Because there's nothing quite like a child running from you in fear and anger to make you look back on things you've done. And... The fact that when she was very little, he and Sylphie had a couple of good moments, she probably affected him more than Marin ever did. So later on, when he and Wedna sort of started to become enemies, and she enacted her uh, long-standing, this was long, long premeditated plan to resurrect Marin uh, to use her, uh, Cynthia Moore came into the picture mm-hmm. as Wedna's lover, uh, more out of convenience than actual love. Mm. And Cynthia, uh, being also a member of the Heidelin cult, said, oh, she's perfect for some of this stuff. And Cynthia set up the idea that Marin would be put with Silas in order to keep control of her and also hopefully keep her indebted 
so that she would marry him and be a good little housewife until she could replace Kyla Uravela as Cynthia's walker. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Silas, of course, was a lot nicer than anyone was planning, and (laughs) Marin was just became a spitfire as soon as she awoke again. She was no longer the quiet and accepting one who just wanted to protect her sister. She had nothing left to lose anymore. Yeah, that's so, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Where she, it's like, I don't yeah. know where Sylphie is and she was the one who I was behaving for, so. Yep, she became a rebel and an arsonist. And can you hear the, the people thing. sing? Just play it every day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you hear the people sing, rather? Um, Alistair obviously met up with Sylphie and told her that he could give her back Marin, which was a lie. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But he was able to use that just enough to get Sylphie not to kill him uh, and sent you guys off on your way. And by the time you found him in Olzak Harbor, he had become a little too deep in the not as a member of the Heidelin cult but a friend of Kellogg and Vinrith being a friend of Kellogg they all sort of linked up together um, and he jumped at the opportunity to become immortal because oh, yeah. he was terrified to die but little did he know who he was actually dealing with mm-hmm. Kellogg, who no one ever knew who the fuck he was, was a warlock of Ilarka and had been flying under the radar in the Heidelin cults for a very long time and used Alistair's fear to his own advantage. Alistair did not realize exactly what was happening until he awoke again uh, in Kellogg's presence in Lachmanos. Um... And it was also in Lachmanos that he ran into a slave operation where he met Zhao and Chen. And for reasons still really unknown to him, he sprung them out. Yeah. And it took him until he got to Irakel to really give himself a reason why he did it and the first reason was well they could be useful and the second reason was they didn't deserve that and that was about the moment that he started to question himself and everything he ever did and started to think about Marin and Sylphie constantly not that he ever stopped thinking about Sylphie in particular um Fun note, if you would let him live a little bit longer uh, without blowing his head off, or, well, if I had, I think I was the one calling Marin when <laughs> yeah, that happened. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, he may have broken down realizing what he did. Oh, God. Um, but uh, as he got to Irakel, uh he, with Zhao and Chen started to realize that he was this huge hypocrite. Why the fuck did he care about these kids when he never cared about the ones he actually adopted? And it was sort of with some nudging from Zhao and Chen that 
uh, who trusted him implicitly because of what he'd done for them, he sought out uh, a new slave operation of the Arbiters in Urikel, which Kenna and Kit will bust later on. Um, and he found Ava, who her wing had been broken and she was basically getting ready to be sold off because she was beautiful and people pay more for beautiful and children. Um, and he like accidentally that. came across Bart, who was not a slave, uh, but a troublemaker. Enough of a troublemaker, even at his young age, that he had been placed in chains many times, arrested many times. Um, and Alistair, seeing a kid that basically nobody ever gave a chance to, who honestly reminded him of Flynn and Redner, uh, took a little bit of pity on him. And some would say kidnapped him because he did have parents, but Alistair oh. knew they didn't care. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And he took them with him down to Frostholds and found Gungnir Tower. Uh, the people of Manas were very kind to new arrivals. Everybody saw this one man with four children and thought, oh, single dad. Um, and basically helped him uh, get settled there. And it was perhaps the first time in his life that Alistair experienced unconditional kindness. And it very quickly started to rub off on him especially as these kids showed him unconditional love for what he had done. And he didn't understand any of it. He qualified it all as, no, they're, it's not, I'm not being nice. It's just future business. And eventually he realized, oh no, I love these children. And then Marin showed up. Yeah. So, and Yeah. We've talked about this a little bit, like, in our group chat, but, like, I personally was having a hard time with Alistair when we uh, ran back into him and he seemed to actually care about these kids. Because, mm -hmm. like, I had written him in my backstory as, like, he was verbally physically mentally whateverly abusive and like i was like it's not gonna feel good to kill this motherfucker but this motherfucker deserves to die <laughs> and so when we show back up and it's like oh look he's actually like a, like starting to become a chill dude i was like huh <laughs> wait okay what <laughs> so um um, yeah, so yeah. the the whole point of that was to say, from the moment you handed me Alistair and Wedna, I took a look at them and thought, there's no way both of these people are absolutely horrible. Someone's got to be in control, and it's got to be Wedna. Um, Which she, I kind of like, because I yeah. always pictured Wedna as being like... She wasn't, like, cruel. She was just apathetic. Yeah. Where she was just kind of like, oh, this this kid's getting murdered, whatever. 
She you know? is very much a, a hands-off person, but she yeah. is the one who called the shots. Whereas mm-hmm. Alistair, in his basically fear of her, did anything she said. And so a lot of the times, things that happened to these kids were not what Alistair necessarily wanted to do, but what Wedna required of him. Not to yeah. say that he can be forgiven for doing it, but he never stood up for anybody Mm -hmm. it was and it was his few moments with especially sylphie when she was very little and she wouldn't understand you know those kinds of punishments that sort of left this lasting mark on alistair that would eventually just become worse and worse until he's like I fucked up. (laughs) Um, He is one of my most difficult redeemable villains. But yeah, depending on next campaign, if you guys do meet him, which is a very real possibility. Especially being in Frosthold, yeah. Especially being in Frosthold, being in Turisaz, which is not that far from Mana's. I think you guys will like the changes in him. Um, because I think somewhere along the lines, along the line, he does earn back that phylactery. Um, he becomes a very private person, but he does still do work and research on his own. And even though he doesn't come out very much, the work he does is helpful. And we can get more into detail that of that some other time, but Yeah. He's I gotta be real, he's a character that I I would not have stopped you from destroying him or tried to make him wriggle out of it. He was not going to run away from you anymore. I made the decision that Alistair, next time he sees Marin and Sylphie, will not run. But he will beg, not for his life, but for the kids to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I desperately hoped you would not forgive him, but just give him a chance. I def- No, I was definitely planning on killing him until Sylphie said that she doesn't. She yeah. didn't want him. Mm-hmm. And... But- I don't know. That was just me thinking about all Sylphie's learned and her coming back with like this spirit of vengeance and being like, fuck that guy. I'm going to fuck him up. And then getting to him and being like, shit. God damn it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was so great. Yeah. Um, so well. I'm really glad I actually got to take Sylphie because being able to work through her rather quick and violent story or character progression after she came back was super fun Mm -hmm. um she's from what you've built but also the internal like struggle that she's had since coming back she's a very mentally like internally rich character that doesn't show it all on the outside and i like being in her head Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but 
yeah, no, Alistair was definitely my my uh, my test to see how far the revenge doesn't feel better storyline went. Yeah, I was curious if it would cause you guys to show him mercy. Yeah, and I I think it was like especially important though that like Marin never like says like i forgive you or anything like that mm-hmm. uh because yeah and that that kind of stuff you don't forgive no. and i really tried to parse it out too of like well then how is she going to be satisfied and like that's i i liked the idea of like retaliation is not just hurting someone it's mm-hmm. It's like being better than the someone who hurt you. Yeah, so. I've I've never believed in the sentiment that you need to forgive this person for yeah. yourself. Yeah. It's like, no, that's not going to make me feel better. No. Probably nothing's going to make me feel better. But the sort of idea of blooming in spite of, and, and not necessarily like angry, spite but just you couldn't hold me down sort of thing and i don't know how much alistair and Marin would really talk about that later on if at all um but i do think sylphie would have visited him a few times to talk about it because i feel like she needs a little more of the closure considering he killed her (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I wouldn't say that they ever have a good relationship, but they have a an accord. Yeah. And Alistair insofar as he can proves that he is genuine. And that now as sort of Vosner said, now that he's no longer so afraid he does not feel like he needs to attack everything and react horribly. He can finally be a person, which I think is a nice little character arc for him. I actually really love him. (laughs) Like he's so weird to me, but I I adore him as a character, not as a person, but he is, it's definitely, complicated which i appreciate well he's a little bit of a there are some elements of him that are a little bit of a self-insert um and it's 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 my shit but the idea of knowing that something is wrong or that you've done something wrong and you can be better or something about you is just not good but you can still be better that's sort of what he is for me he's very weirdly close to my heart yeah um i would like to think that someday i can call him a good boy someday maybe yeah, <laughs> yeah. well would we now like that chat to... learn is done yeah would we like to wrap this up because uh, i'm gonna pass out I know, yeah. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, 
we we already did our like sign off shit and just kept fucking talking uh-huh. um but yeah uh check us out on twitter check us out at our websites if you need links they're below and uh we will see you Whew. about july 10th with a new player new characters a new time 300 years in the future and maybe some some characters will show back up mm-hmm. and we'll see what the obsidian collective has wrought oh yay all right we're out of here you all guys right, all right love you love you love you bye y'all see ya bye best dream best dream